0: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
1: This episode of Keeping Carlson is sponsored in part by FanDuel. FanDuel has something for everyone, including new contests every day starting at just $1. And now you can take on Elon and I in our brand new Keeping Carlson Listener League. Our contests open every Monday night around 7 or 8 p.m., and they run each Tuesday. Check out fandull.com slash karl, K-A-R-L, for all the details. See you there.
0: Carlson, Carlson, and best Carlson, Carlson, Carlson. Here comes Carlson. 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 No one actually. No one Carlson. a role Carlson. Carlson. Carlson scores. Carlson. Matt Duchesne traded for Kyle Turian. Carlson. Yes. And some other players. We'll get into it. Thank you everybody for joining us for another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. The best. Fantasy Hockey Podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who, at one point, owned Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Jabrowski, with me, as always, the fantasy hockey robot himself, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to be
1: on the air with you all again. Elon, you started, like, you set up the dock for our show every week, and it started with Kerry Price. And this morning, I'm like, oh, please don't make me talk about Kerry Price again. I'm so tired of that line of questioning, although I do have something new today. So stay tuned for that. But my wish has been granted with
0: this brand new trade news. Yeah, man, like, I just wish, can't things happen a little bit earlier than our recording time? Last week, we find out that Ryan Getzlaff is injured like an hour before we started to schedule. Like, Ryan, can you please schedule your injuries at a more convenient time for us? Uh, and then this week, yeah, this huge trade. So obviously we'll have to start with that. We'll get into it in a second. Let's first mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. It's your source for fantasy hockey news. If you want a detailed write-up of this trade, of and I'll get to it in a second, but, you know, Duchesne and tourists and all the players going to Colorado, who it helps, who it hurts. We're going to do our best right now, but we've just been prepping this for an hour. You're going to get a full detailed recap over at DauberHockey.com. You probably just want to go pause the podcast, check it out right now. Great website. It also has great tools that I use all the time, like the starting goalies over at GoaliePost, comments Combinations of frozen pools, it's all there, Daberhockey.com.
1: Yeah, and they'll have had much more time to put thought into the article that they put up. They're very quick, but they'll have sorted out their thoughts, edited the copy and everything. We're just gonna go right off the top of our heads
0: with what we think of the trade. Elon, what happened? Okay, so I got a push notification when I landed from my flight, which was like an hour ago. And it told me that it was a three-way deal with Ottawa, Nashville, and Colorado. Ottawa gets Matt Duchesne. Nashville gets Kyle Turris and then Colorado gets a whole whackload of like draft picks. They get Andrew Hammond for some reason, I guess they want him. Uh, I know like there's patron Ian is going to be telling me, oh, of of course they want Andrew Hammond. He's great. But anyways, I don't think we're going to be spending too much time talking about Andrew Hammond. Uh, They get this guy, Samuel Gerrard from Nashville, who I think we brought up a few weeks ago on the podcast. He was looking okay when Roman Yozy was injured. He was getting some power play deployment. Uh, Someone named Vladislav Kamenev. I don't think we're going to get too into the players that Colorado got. Brian, do you want to give an overall sense of this trade in terms of like who won, who lost for teams before we get into the fantasy impact? Sure. So I'll
1: start from the Ottawa end of things where it looks like they've spent quite a bit to move from Kyle Tourist to Matt Duchesne. Like it's exciting. They finally acquired this guy who could not get out of Colorado, but what did they pay to get him? They paid their first rounder from this year, their first and third from next year, and Andrew Hammond, which actually helps clear up a goalie log gem that was happening in their minor league system. I imagine that was part of what they wanted to get in the deal, although it could be a boon for Colorado, in any case, it's a lot to pay uh, just because they didn't want to extend Kyle Turris, who was doing a fine job in Ottawa, uh, has his own personal highlight reel of huge playoff goals as an Ottawa center. So it's a shame that he's moving on. Uh, at the same time, he just signed a six-year, six million dollar contract with Nashville. Who knows what he was asking from Ottawa? Anything anyone asks from Ottawa is automatically too expensive. So all they've done though is defer that decision to like for another year with Matt Duchesne is going to be under contract for another year after Kyle Touris' initial contract was going to expire. And then they'll have to sort that out then with Brassard and Eric Carlson also becoming free agents around that time. So there's going to be a mess eventually in Ottawa. I don't know if they're hoping to sign Duchesne low because, well, he's been buried for a while and his value today is probably lower than hopefully it's going to be for the next few years or any time within the negotiation window for Duchesne's next contract. Elon, you want to talk about the Ottawa end of
0: things? No, you're talking about the Ottawa end of thing. I feel like obviously you're going to give us the Ottawa-centric part of the trade because you're an <laughs> Ottawa fan. You are like I, you haven't even mentioned if this is good for Nashville or Colorado. But by the way, speaking of Ottawa, I think you're leaving out the fact that Kyle Turris is 28 years old, so he signed a six-year contract. That goes all the way until he's, what, like 34? He's going to be you know, probably regressing by then if he follows a normal age curve, and I don't see any reason to expect him not to. Matt Duchene is two years lo- younger from what I see, so I think it makes sense that if they want to sign someone to a six-year deal, they got someone a little bit younger that's only gonna be 32 when the year is over so i think you're being too hard on the sense with this initial uh thing but at the same time i literally haven't read anything about this trade at all but i like the idea that matthew shane is two years younger i don't like the idea of signing these players until they're in their late 30s you know like with montreal and carrie price who we'll get to in a little bit like you alluded to
1: yeah well here's the thing with kyle tourist it's not just straight up, like it's not as bad as them upgrading Tourist to Duchesne. It sounds like they weren't going to come to terms with Tourists. So they risked letting him walk for nothing or get an upgrade and spending a little bit more to get it with a little more cost certainty and getting a little younger. So for that reason, it actually does look okay for Ottawa. They also got to hold on to White and Shabbat and their their grade A prospects. Uh, then we look to Nashville, who they're the simplest end of the deal. They get Kyle Tourist and he helps... Definitely fill them out down the middle. Now they have Ryan Johansson, Kyle Turris, and Nick Bonino as their top three centermen. And it wasn't looking good while Bonino was injured for a little while. Like their, their center depth was clearly lacking. And you can tell that this is a team who knows what their weakness is, wanted to do something to address it so that they can still contend while they think their window is open. They made it to the finals last year, of course. I think this is really going to help them. They did give up, though. Someone we've talked about on the podcast earlier this year, Samuel Girard, who's up to five NHL games. We talked about him as somebody who had some high offensive upside, but wasn't necessarily going to get the deployment necessary to take advantage of that high offensive upside in Nashville. Now, perhaps there's a chance. I mean, you've got to figure he slots in right behind Barry and maybe Eric Johnson is the next best offensive defenseman. We played the game a little while ago, where you had to name other defensemen on Colorado. It proved very difficult. We'll see if they play him all the way up to nine games and decide he's a full-time NHLer, or if they decide that he is not going to be that this year. If they're going to wait another year, and they also get a, a player uh, whose first name starts with V and last name is kevin of whose name I've seen around, but I have not done done my looking into him yet. Colorado, by the way, gets a huge haul. They did really well, considering they were trying to trade Duchesne for like two years now. They got uh they got Girard Kamenev, they got Shane Bowers, who is Ottawa's first round pick from the 2017 draft, Andrew Hammond, they get Ottawa's first and third next year, and Nashville's second. So yeah. they had an extra pick for each of the first three rounds next year. Plus, they get a prospect from Ottawa. They get two prospects from Nashville and a goalie who could potentially outplay Bernier if he's given the opportunity, although I don't know that he will.
0: Well, yeah, so that's a nice little recap. Let's move beyond that. Who cares? You can watch the news to get stuff like that. We're going to try to tell you the impact <laughs> of this deal. I think when you're saying that Colorado got this huge haul of prospects, maybe that's good for, you know, Nathan McKinnon owners in a dynasty league. He's going to have some people to play with. He already has been doing really well this year. It seems like playing with Rantanen and company has been good, but hopefully that'll help him. But let's forget about Colorado. I'm really interested to look at Ottawa and Nashville. Let's start in Nashville. We were already planning on talking about later on the show in our cold streak section about Ryan Johansson who had an assist yesterday, but has been having a pretty slow season, only seven points in 14 games overall. He actually had a four game pointless streak going into yesterday. Now Nashville gets Kyle Turris, which maybe that's someone good to help on the top power play, but also it's like a competition, right? What if all of a sudden Turris is the guy playing with Philip Forsberg when it seemed before like that was Johansson's job and he was going to play with this, obviously the best winger on the team. I don't know. I, I was already kind of worried about Ryan Johansson. Is this maybe reason to be more worried about Ryan Johansson having competition with Kyle Turris? Like I guess, which begs the question, like how good is kyle tourist anyways like i feel like going into the year i would have definitely wanted ryan johansson over kyle Turris, but they were on different teams but my sense has always been that ryan johansson is a more dynamic player and kyle Turris, is like a solid 60 point guy don't expect that much more you seem to love his highlight real playoff goals or whatever <laughs> you said as a Sens fan but yeah is this bad news do you think for ryan johansson or do you think things stay the same like can we just jump to the ryan johansson analysis now and maybe include the fact that kyle Turris is there
1: Sure. Yeah, we can do that. And the highlight reel goals, is like Kyle Turris is not the most talented player. Like he's not the flashiest or most dynamic player, but he gets the job done and is solid for 55, 60 points. And he does certainly put pressure on Ryan Johansson as the team's top centerman. Who knows if he finds his way onto the power play as well on the top unit, because Johansson has not been doing well at all this year. Elon. as you alluded to, his shot rates are down uh, quizzically. Don't know why. Uh, it's a real bummer that he's not putting up at least, like he wasn't putting up a ton of shots before. Now he's putting up even less, maybe one and a half per game. And uh, he's going to need some help. He's going to need to get to play with better players, with better wingers, not than he is right now. But like, I'm seeing that in the context of better players than Kyle Touris is playing with. You look at who is really going to benefit in Nashville from this trade though. And you have to think the wingers are going to. I mean, for Pete's sake, Philip Forsberg, was centered, or was playing with Colton Sissons and Craig Smith the other game. That's not going to happen again. He's either going to get Ryan Johansson or Kyle Torres as his centerman, Kevin Fiala, Victor Arvidson, even Scott Hartnell. They all benefit by having two top six centermen huh. that they can play with
0: devil's advocate on scott hartnell he's been on the top power play here's someone now that can easily bump scott hartnell from the top power place so maybe not him i def and maybe that maybe for the same reason maybe victor arvidson who i thought would be the one to eventually bump scott Hartnell. but yeah for the people who are worried arvidson owners you're you're right even if he's not on the top line with johansson he's at least on the second line then with kyle turris okay interesting uh, where did you land then on ryan johansson in terms of if this is good or bad for him or do you think it's just a wait and see at this point like are you nervous if if you have ryan johansson people are already asking us if they should drop him does this make you more nervous about him were you actually going to say that they should consider dropping him anyways no i wasn't
1: like not before tourists is there of course Tourist getting there complicates things a little bit and people are going to know want to know what to do with kyle tourists too but to tie up johansson just don't do anything for now. You've got to see how things change. I still feel like he's the guy who's been there longer. He's going to be their number one center. Kyle Tourist does a great job as being like a flex number one, number two center as he has been in Ottawa for, well, a chunk of his career. Lately with Broussard, uh before with Zibanejad, before that with Spezza. So he's used to playing whatever role is asked of him. He can be the offensive guy on the first line or he can be a little bit more defensively responsible if asked to do that too. I don't think his value changes a whole lot. I don't think Johansson's value changes a whole lot. I just think that Nashville is going to get a lot more help scoring from two lines instead of having to rely
0: on one. So yeah, definitely, I guess next week, or you guys should definitely pay attention yourselves. Let's see what happens to the top power play on Nashville. That'll be interesting. And I guess the cornerstone of this trade, like the marquee player is Matt Duchesne going to Ottawa. You go back to 2013-14, which I think is like the first year we were doing keeping Carlson. And Matt Duchesne had 70 points in 71 games. He was looking like a true superstar in the league. The year before that, 43 points in 47 games. It's like a near point per game guy. And then a uh, decline. Like the next year he had 55 and 82, then 59 in 76. Last year, a disaster, 41-77. and I personally felt that owning him into Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League where I held him because I was hoping he would get traded by the trade deadline. And no, I just, he didn't get traded and he just did nothing all the way through to the end of the season. This year, he's actually been having a good year playing with Neil Yakubov, of all people. 10 points in 14 games. Now he goes to Ottawa, He's out of the doghouse, right? Like, I assume on Ottawa, he's going to get back to playing with really good players. I assume he's going to be on the top power play with Carlson and Mark Stone, who's been amazing, by the way, uh, like, you know, and all those good guys, Mike Hoffman. So how good is Matt Shane right now? His value clearly goes up from where it was in Colorado. Like, even though he has 10 go- points in 14 games on Colorado, he's been in the doghouse. He wasn't someone I was going to depend on to get points if he wasn't even on the top power play. Is he back to being maybe someone that we could expect 70-ish point pace from? Or is that shooting a little too high?
1: So that's going a little further than we can, just based on what we've been able to see from him in recent years, which isn't a whole lot. Last year, his most common line mates were rookie Miko Rantanen and declining somehow Gabriel Landeskog. I don't know what role Duchesne played in Landeskog's decline. I don't know that I'll pin it on him either. He also played a bunch with Matt Nieto and Mikhail Grigorenko. These aren't guys that you're going to put up a whole lot of production with. And the year before that, he was playing well with McKinnon and Landeskog for a bunch, but then he ended the season playing mostly with Grigorenko and Jerome Ginla. So you can see this isn't a guy who's been deployed exactly as a top six center, or at least as a top six center who would have the line mates that that would necessitate a most NHL teams? So it'll be really interesting to see what he can do if he does get that true high-end deployment that we've been waiting. And like anyone in a dynasty league who owns him is finally breathing that sigh of relief saying, I've hung on to this guy forever, just waiting for him to break free from Colorado. And here it is. So I'm very excited to see what his upside is. I think it's higher than what Tourists is. I think he can go above 60 points. I'm not ready to go to 70 yet. Let's see how the first, like, 15 games play out. I know you can wait that long.
0: Yeah, but I know what's going to happen, Brian. We're going to get a ton of tweets in the next week. Should I drop this guy for Duchesne? Should I drop this guy from Duchesne? You know, if Duchesne is available as a free agent in your league right now, clearly it sounds like you're saying people should jump on him. Get dibs if you can. Try to figure out someone you can drop. If you can't figure someone out, you can tweet us at Kevin Carlson. We'll try our best to help you. Like, if you're saying he's going to be better than Tourists. That's definitely someone that's worth owning. He was probably dropped in a lot of leagues. I don't know if I would have added him if he was dropped in the cup full like last week, unless, you know, I was excited about him potentially getting traded. Actually, we have a patron, Peter, who's been holding on to him. And I've actually kind of been hinting, not that much, because there were other players I was also telling him he should drop. It. I was hinting maybe he should drop someone like Duchesne for I think it was, uh, well, actually, I don't want to blow up his spot, but like uh, a player that he wanted to add. And now, obviously, he's going to be very smug and tell me that he was right to hold on to Matt Duchesne because he's getting traded and hopefully to a really good situation, I believe, to his favorite team. So, very good for you, Peter. Brian. Okay, hopefully the listeners have enjoyed this analysis of a trade that we just found out about. Now let's get into some prepared content that was prepared, I don't know, a few hours ago at least. Let's start with the, I guess now the second fantasy hockey headline of the week, which is injuries. A big name is injured. We don't know for how long. Carey Price, lower body injury. I know everyone's probably excited. I know, Brian, you were excited to maybe stop talking about Carey Price for a bit But got to talk about him. He's injured. This is like the lowest you're ever going to be able to buy him, I think, at this point. And we probably already said that a few weeks ago. But now his value is even lower because he's injured. No one knows how serious it is. What if the injury has been contributing to his bad season so far? So many question marks. But yeah, so he missed Saturday's game owners of him are probably not so sad if they're able to put him in their ir plus spot considering he hasn't been helping them he's been the kind of goalie lately where you're not sure if you should start him because you don't want to risk your save percentage which is obviously not what you drafted Kerry price to be overall in the season he's got three wins in 11 games and 877 save percentage just dreadful i actually shared on facebook uh, on our patron only facebook group i was at a bar watching the 6-3 loss to minnesota on I guess it was Wednesday or Thursday that Carey Price was playing and I was with a friend and it was like going obviously so badly for Carey Price and I was sort of joking like oh he really needs a vacation he needs to clear his head I feel like the team should just pretend he has an injury and then like the next day this news comes out that okay Carey Price lower body injury he's gonna miss at least a game is there any chance that that's what happened that he's not even injured and the team is giving him a vacation or is that just a crazy conspiracy that I came up with and then it happened to something that made it look like it came true but really obviously it didn't
1: I mean, I guess there's a chance. I don't know. Of course that could be what's happening. They're not going to tell us straight up if it does. That's also a little conspiratorial, though. I'm not so sure. Uh, If you want me to, I'm going to dig into his production now, by the way, just to get it out of the way. I have a take. Here it is. Uh, We mentioned actually on this week's Patreon cast, uh, which is an episode we release, well, once a month, but it's one of our weekly episodes. Anyway, I mentioned then that he was way off in his even strength save percentage this year, which was disappointing because normally if a player is struggling or if a goalie is struggling, you're looking to see if it's happening in a small sample, which would be like on the penalty kill, but it's not. His penalty kill save percentage is actually like closer to his career norm than his even strength save percentage, which has fallen well off. But I am not... Really wanting to budge off my line still of saying that in the long run, carry price is going to be okay, and I'll take on two of your more common arguments, Elon. First is that the decor is crummy, but Montreal is a top ten team in expected goals against per sixty minutes, which puts them in pretty good company. Like that decor is doing all right at preventing high quality, high danger chances compared to the rest of the league. Also, Montreal is fourth in the league in expected goals for percentage and uh, at about 56% but their actual goals for percentage is at 40%. So if you have any faith in those expected goals metrics which I do, that's going to even out. They're going to get better and once Carey Price can offer the team a number much closer to his expected save percentage, a number that he has outperformed for the last 4 years, things should be okay. And also Carey Price Chicken Little should also take a minute to reflect back on a 10 game stretch in December January of last year. We're talking like 10 months ago when he gave up three and a half goals per game, posted an 883 save percentage and won only three times. Okay, that's my, that's my Carey Price denial side. Here's, here's the other side with a big butt leading into it. Carey Price owners, if you own him and you're trying to deal him or you're wondering if you should and you know your competition listens to this podcast, uh, you might want to get uh, into those trade talks before your competition. hears this episode because I'm probably going to hurt his value with this next bit after pumping it up and how I'm going to hurt is by saying there is one place where I'm now officially letting concern about Carey Price creep in. And that's with this lower body injury report. I'm not going to surmise that he's away on vacation or taking a mental health break, which could be happening, but I'm going to take it at face value. And I'm going to remind everyone uh, just two years ago, he played 12 games, and questionably so, before being shut down for the whole season. And the next year, which was last season, 2016-17, Price only put up a 9.23 save percentage. And to say only 9.23, that's not really fair. But of course, that's not the number you'd been hoping for if you were one of the people who drafted him in the first round that year. So we haven't seen Carey Price bounce back into that full season, high 9.20s plus Area since he recovered from the 2015 injury, and even though he hasn't had that much time, we still haven't seen it. And in fact, he was only a 9.15 goalie over the second half of last season. So, if I am going to acquiesce and bump Price out of Tier One as you've been begging me to do or insisting I should do, it would be on that premise that Carey Price was injured before, then he struggled the next year. And maybe he's injured again or something's up with his body. Maybe the initial injury has forced him to change a piece of his game since the injury. I'm just spitballing here. um, And I still want to be super stubborn and say that for the record, that's the only reason I'm bumping him down. Not because his team stinks, not because an otherwise healthy 925 plus goalie for the last four seasons is suddenly struggling to start the year for 10 games. I admit that my skepticism is growing the longer this slump lasts, hence this injury theory, because the longer this continues, the longer that there has to be something more concrete to explain what's happened to an otherwise amazing goalie.
0: Wow, what a twist. So after all this where, you know, I was telling you, yeah, I agree with you, he's a good goalie. It's just the team is bad. Now you're like, no, actually, I think the team is good, but the goalie might not be as good because of this injury. I mean, it is worth mentioning, he's 30 years old at this point. I've listened to a lot of Nick Mercadante on different podcasts. He was on the PDO cast, I guess like a couple weeks ago or something at this point. And he pointed out that Kerry, like a lot of, I don't think he was even talking about Kerry Price. I think he was talking about Schneider or something, but he was saying how when a goalie gets to be in his 30s, like they could decline quickly. Like, we've seen some examples of goalies where they're able to move past that. Like, you know, these exceptions like Henrik Lungfist, Roberto Luongo, who could play well late into their 30s. But the majority of goalies, their peak is in their 20s. And especially if you've played a lot of games and, you know, you get like some sort of lingering injury, it could really affect you. So, that is a very interesting point you make, Brian. So, at this point, okay, last time, this is going to be the last question I ask about Carey Price for a while, I hope. But like, if you're a Carey Price owner, you're saying maybe try to sell high. Like what goalies, like do you go for? And also, if you're not a carry Price owner, like I'm just trying to get a sense of like where is his value? Like, because at first, before you said this injury concern thing, you were saying how Montreal's going to be fine if he if he just gets back to saving the expected number of shots, then you know he's going to be a really good goalie again you know, then I would think anyone who's not a Carey Price owner should be calling the Carey Price owner up and offering, like starting at their crappiest goalie and working their w- way up. You know, like, oh, will you take Gibson? Will you take uh, Jake Allen? Will you take Vasilevsky, Jonathan Quick? Like all of these guys going into the season, people would have wanted Carey Price over. At this point, can you just give a general sense of where you think you're paying too much for Carey Price, where you think it's like a great value for him?
1: I'm going to say it's going to be hard. Trading is irrational. And as much as I can look at a guy and be certain, like Harry Price, and be certain that he's going to be okay, my gut can't always convince my brain to trade one of my maybe overachievers to get a great deal. And the same thing's happening on the other side. Someone knows that their player is underachieving. They know they're going to bounce back. Can they actually send him off for a return that they can't trust or that they trust less? Elon, I put out a survey earlier today to get a sense of what price owners are willing to trade for and what non-price owners are willing to give up to get price. And it's pretty funny because the goalies that really ran away, like with the, the poll results, we got 60 responses from price owners uh, who they would trade Carey Price for. The answers came back. Uh, Holtby uh, was first with 70% of price owners saying they uh, they trade Price for him. Uh, a bunch said nobody. But Holtby, Murray, Vasilevsky, and Bobrovsky were the returns that price owners mostly said that they would trade him for straight up. Meanwhile, the people who own those goalies said that they would not trade Kerry Price for him. So the only goalies that Price owners would give him up for are the only goalies that non-Price owners are definitely not trading for him is what I've gathered from this data. So good luck making that trade. I contacted my Kerry Price owner in my cup division today. I said, hey, take a look at my goalies one for one straight up. Would you do either of them? Uh, and they're Ben Bishop and Mike Smith for the record
0: was not it, it was a non-starter the conversation just wasn't happening just well yeah okay but still small sample size we've had patrons we had one patron who traded i think jake or carrie price for jake allen we had another one that traded him for jonathan quick or maybe it was the other way around it's possible if like if you don't have carrie price and you and you have one of these goalies that brian didn't mention like you know obviously you're not gonna trade holt b for carrie price at this point but Eh, worth checking it out I'd be curious to see what other deals people can make like I'd be curious if a Carey Price owner says like oh yeah I would only take Holtby or Bobrovsky or whatever for him but if they actually had the offer in front of them they had Jonathan Quick who's been so good and like reliable I wonder if they'd actually you know maybe they would just go throw in a, a little sweetener and then I'll make the deal like I have a feeling the Carey Price owners are acting tough on our survey but I feel like they might fold when the offer actually came
1: well, I mean, Quick did have twenty price owners saying that he'd be enough to get the deal done. Crawford had sixteen. Talbot had fourteen. Uh, anti Ranta had two. I think there are just some people who are really fed up. And then, uh, interestingly, the the people who don't own Price, the most the goalies that they were most likely to trade are Auntie Ranta, Scott Darling, well, <laughs> okay. Craig Anderson, huh. and Elon. Here, here's an interesting one. Connor Hellebuck had about it was pretty much fifty fifty split between his owners as they would trade him for price and they wouldn't trade him for price. And he's on the other side of the coin, right? He's someone who's overachieving early on. I don't know. I don't know what you do. If you have Connor Hallebuck if you make the move for carry price, it's a really, really hard one where your, your gut and your brain will not agree.
0: Okay, well, Brian, I'm going to admit something right now. I probably shouldn't do this. We're probably going to lose a lot of listeners after I say this. But, like, sometimes we just don't know. <laughs> like, we don't have the, in terms of, like, like, obviously we don't know the future. Like, that's, but what I mean is, like, you're going to ask, uh, like, should I trade Connor Hellebuck for Carey Price? And it's, like, I can think of reasons to do it and reasons not to. I can't be, like, oh, you should or you shouldn't. Like, Connor Hellebuck, you say, is overachieving. We don't even know. Like, he's a he's young. This is his, what, third season. We don't even know what his expected save percentage will be once he's played, the whatever the minimum is, or you can start trusting goalie results. So who knows? It's a risk, right? Like, Carey Price versus Connor Hellebach. There's so many things to consider. There's so many unknowns in that that I feel like it's just like, what are you comfortable with? Brian, I kind of want to move on from Carey Price, though.
1: Okay, let me just, I'm just going to punctuate that point by saying there was somebody in our Facebook patrons group who said they traded quick for Price or they were considering it. And my answer was sort of what you just said. It's like, hey, price is probably gonna rise in a safe percentage by thirty points. Quick is probably gonna fall. It just depends on which side of that you're ready to stomach more, and and that's how you're going to decide whether or not to trade. There's a reason to do to either keep price or trade him or your own goalie or trade for price, and uh, it really is a personal decision.
0: <laughs> okay,
1: so let's move on. That,
0: that's my way of saying we don't know. Yeah. So usually we have a take and Brian's like, I'd rather this guy over this guy. And we'll give get a lot of those going for the rest of the podcast. No more Carey Price talk for a while, I promise. But we're on the Habs. Let's mention on the plus side for the Habs, they've gotten horrendous goaltending, but their offense has finally gotten going. Like you said, they had all these shots, but a lot weren't going in. Now they have 26 goals in their last six games. So Pucks are going in the net. Their line's have been interesting it hasn't been like you know the expected line to start the year of like Pacioretty, Druin and I guess Galchenyuk or Gallagher they've been running Pacioretty, Shaw and Dano Paul Byron with Gallagher and Plakanitz and then Druin with Galchenyuk and Lekanen those were their lines in the last game and the top power play also kind of like Druin, Lekanen, Pacioretty, Shaw for some reason and Shea Weber okay so anyways the buy low opportunity for Pacioretty is probably over now or probably, definitely over now. He has seven points in his last six games. Same for Jonathan Druin with five assists in his last six games. Both of these guys had slumps to start the year. You would have been smart to go for them, especially someone like Pacioretty, who's been so solid for so many years. There are some other players who maybe were dropped during the Habs slump and that might still be available that we should look into. So you have Brendan Gallagher who has eight points in his last six games now, 20 shots on goal. He also throws at least a hit a game for what it's worth if you're in a league that counts hits. At this point, He would be near the top of my free agent list if he was still available. Then you have Galchenyuk, who, you know, disappoints us every year. But he's usually not a free agent. But I think now in some leagues, he's finally become a free agent. He has a modest four points in his last six games, which isn't insane. But it's maybe not snoozer territory anymore like he was early on in the season. Brian, do you think people should be jumping on either of these guys, Gallagher or Galchenyuk, if they're still free agents? And maybe you could say, like, who would you want more between the two in, say, a league that doesn't count hits?
1: Okay, so Pacioretty, just for starters, is proof that you can't expect career performers to bounce back. I'm just going to put that out there. Um, really nice run for Gallagher, too. I'm glad you noticed and brought him up. If you missed out on him during the speculative early season hype, or hey, if you added him during that hype and subsequently dropped him once he was snoozing, now's a good time to get another crack at him while he is actually doing stuff, and we're not just speculating. Galchenyuk saw season-high ice time last game with nearly 19 minutes of ice, Playing with Druin, which is great, but doesn't mean a whole lot unless we see it for a couple more games. And Elon, I, the tonight's lines are already in action. I wonder if you can find. I know Galchenyuk was playing with Shaw and someone else. I can't remember if the someone else was Druin. Um, anyway, between Galchenyuk and Gallagher, I think you can go ahead and make a speculative ad on Galchenyuk if you're trying to firm up the bottom end of your roster. But you can wait a little longer on either guy. Otherwise, if there's someone I want to add right now, Elon, I'm waiting for you to get back to me on that line situation. Do you have it?
0: Yeah, I have it. Same as uh, the ones I just said, it looks like. So, so far, they're rolling the same lines as they did in yesterday's game.
1: Okay, so that makes me feel a little stronger towards Galchenyuk. The second he's not on that line again, though, and he gets buried or makes someone unhappy or looks at Claude Julien the wrong way, then I will prefer Gallagher because Galchenyuk's having a real hard time producing, as he should, getting like middle or even
0: bottom six deployment. Eh, You know what? I think I might just disagree with you and say Gallagher. I'm a sucker for shots. I like the shots on goal that he's giving you, and while he's hot, I'd go him. But yeah, maybe Galchenyuk has more upside. He's someone that we thought of as a potential 60-point guy just like a couple of years ago, or maybe even going into last season. Brian, before we move on with all of the other injuries and outjuries, I feel like we've been talking forever. We've only done basically the Duchesne trade and talking about the Habs, and we have so much more to get to. Before we get to the, let's mention that this week's episode of Keeping Carlson is sponsored by our good friends over at SeatGeek. Man, now is a good time to go see a Sens game. Go see Matt Duchesne in his first game. If you're in Nashville, go see Kyle Turris in his first game. You go to the Habs game. Go see Carey Price bounce back after his injury. And if you want to go to a game, you got to buy a ticket. But buying tickets to sports and concerts can be so complicated. But there is a better and simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices. Fully guaranteed. There's nothing like seeing your favorite team or musician in person and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I really like this about SeatGeek. They rank their tickets not only by price, you could rank by value. So, you know, they're comparing the price compared to what would be a good price generally to pay for that ticket. So you can find out, am I getting a good deal with this ticket? It's really good. Plus, if that hasn't convinced you, listeners of Keeping Carlson even can get a discount on their first SeatGeek purchase. Brian, why don't you tell them about that? They can. That's
1: you, by the way, listeners of Keeping Carlson. You can save $20 off your first purchase with SeatGeek when you log in and create your account and make your purchase using the promo code KEEPING. That's KEEPING for anyone uh, who needs that spelling
0: help. (laughs) I'm just used to spelling out our promo codes now. K-E-E-P-I-N-G! K don't know why I'm singing it now. <laughs> Ryan, let's move on to more injuries. David Krejci has been day-to-day for a while with a back problem. I probably could have brought him up last week, but it seemed like he was going to be back any day now, so I didn't think it was worth bringing up. But he still isn't skating. It looks like this injury may be more serious than it appeared when he first went on the shelf. Also on Boston, David Backus has unfortunately... Uh, had to go into surgery for his diverticulitis. He's going to be gone for the next two months, at least. We're definitely wishing him the best. Doesn't sound pleasant. So, okay, on Boston, Krejci is gone. Bacchus is gone. These were Boston's lines for the 3-2 loss to Washington yesterday. They were running Bergeron, Marchand, and Pasternak. So that is a loaded up top line if I've ever seen one before. If you recall, Pasternak sometimes last year was playing with Krejci on line two. Then the other lines, like I could tell you them, you're not going to care. Like Jake DeBrusque, Sean Corrales, and Tim Schaller, Bolesky, uh, Austin, Austin Charnik, and Riley Nash, and then Bjork, uh, Danton Heinen, and Jordan Schwarz. S-Z-W-A-R-Z. It's like Schwartz except taking away a couple of letters. Anyway, all studs on line one, and then the rest of the lines don't seem that interesting except the top power play has been featuring a guy named Danton Heinen he's been playing on power play one with Marshawn Bergeron Pasternak and Krug for the last two games he actually has nothing to show for it in those last two games no points in his last two but before that he had six points in six games to start the season so that gives him six points in eight games now and he's currently on the top power play for maybe however long Krejci is out who's Danton Heinen why why do I feel like I'm asking you about a new Boston player all the time like we were talking about Bork, Bjork, Andres Bjork. I and was like, who is this guy? Now I'm asking you, who's Danton Heinen? Is he worth a flyer due to being on the top power play and having this hot start?
1: You weren't kidding about that Boston lineup being full of anonymous names. It's like they have one of the best lines in the league and then nine other guys playing forward. Uh, the 22-year-old Danton Heinen, whose name just reminds me a lot of Icing, uh, had definitely figured out the AHL earlier this year. He had one goal and seven assists for eight points. In four games before getting his call up to the NHL early on. Uh, The fourth rounder in 2014 saw about 13 minutes per game while having a cup of coffee with the big club last year, but it had nothing in eight games. Uh, You know, anyone on the top power play is worth a look. So that's why you could consider Danton Heinen, but he has already had like a bit of a deployment roller coaster. It rose early before dropping down. Now it's on the rise again. So just. Keep yourself aware of that situation. Dobber Prospects has him rated as a B- in terms of fantasy potential, Ooh. maybe a top six forward. And you can head over there to DauberProspects.com or listen to their excellent Dobber Prospects radio podcast to get more of the goods on him. As an aside, you mentioned Anders Bjork, Elon. You can probably let him go for the time being. I'm more or less giving up on hopes of him being above a half point per game producer, at least until Krejci comes back.
0: Yeah, Andres Bjork is the kind of guy where if he's going to be on the top line with Marchand and Bergeron once Krejci is back, and if like Krejci goes back to playing with Pasternak, then sure, grab Andres Bjork again. But for now, he's not on a good line. He's not on the top power play, so yeah, you can let him go. If you want anyone on Boston who might be a free agent, it's Danton Heinen. Let's look at their defense. Don't look now. Tori Krug has had two straight two-assist games, now has five points in his last three games. Four shots yesterday, which is nice. That was our big concern with Tory Krug, right? It was like, whatever, he's not getting points. He didn't get points at the start of last year, also, but he wasn't taking shots. And that was so concerning. So I was really happy to see his four shots yesterday. Looks like he's back. Maybe he had some sort of lingering injury that maybe he's now passed. I don't know. Just speculation. I was hoping he'd get dropped in at least one of my leagues before he started to heat up. I wanted the slump to keep going for a little longer, see him dropped so I could add him and then he could heat up. Looks like that never happened. I'm not going to get my chance at a free Tory Krug this year.
1: Well, I don't know. You could find someone who thinks that this is a mirage in the first 10 games or what he really does, although I hope the last two games really continue. I still don't know what happened initially. I have, I swear, searched high and low for one good take on what was happening with Torrey Krug and his numbers over the early season. I didn't find one. I didn't see anything weird while watching whatever Boston Bruins hockey I've happened to watch. So, uh, you know, it makes it a little hard to pronounce that he's back based on just a couple games. But the fact that, of course, what he's been doing with getting shots on net and putting up points is much more in line with what he's done for the last couple of years is certainly some comfort. And I hope it continues.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I was saying I wanted a free Tory Krug. Yeah, maybe I could try to convince a Krug owner and have to do a whole annoying trade talk. I don't want to get into that. I wanted him for free. I wanted him to be dropped and I wanted to pick him up in free agency. There's a chance he's still available. Like if you're in a shallower league, there's a chance he's still out there as a free agent. So go check your wire right now. Okay, sure. Uh, I definitely have. <laughs> also, just for Bradley Jay, I will mention that Tuka Rask has been good in his past four games since returning from injury. As a 9.24 save percentage over that run. I still personally wouldn't trust him long-term. Uh, we've seen him blow up a lot, but he was uh, calling me out on Facebook for saying too often that I'm down on Tuka Rask. So maybe I'll look dumb for saying that I still don't trust him long-term. Clearly, he's doing well now. So good for you, Tuka Rask. Good for you, Bradley, for having him. And I'm sure you're happy with him right now. Brian, okay i another player i didn't want to talk about well i didn't want to talk about Kerry price for a while but then he got injured we had to talk about him i also kind of wanted to take a week off of talking about vegas but stuff keeps happening in vegas and we keep on having to talk about them so oscar Dansk is injured now maxim lagasse is now their goalie i feel like he's a play at your own risk type of goalie at this point like he seems like the goalie in the league the starting goalie in the league that i'd be least confident in starting at this point do you concur
1: I concur. Although with Vegas goalies, I would have said that about Subban, about Dansk, And honestly, Fleury would have been bottom five in terms of goalies I wanted to start. They've all done well. So I don't know. But you've got to figure by the time they're on like their fourth stringer, their fifth stringer, when they still had Calvin Pickard, you've got to think he's not going to help you that much, especially as they head out on a pretty rough road trip to come.
0: Yeah, well, Brian, just to be pedantic, he was never their fifth stringer because when they had Calvin Pickard, they didn't have uh, Subban, Malcolm Subban. So he was their fourth okay. stringer. Good okay, good one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also on Vegas, let's mention that Shea Theodore got called up. I think in the last episode, we, it looked like he was about to be called up. And then like after we finished recording, like maybe the next day, he got called up to the team. He's played two games so far. He was actually scratched for a game in between those two games. Uh, he's been averaging 16 minutes per night in those two games. He's been getting over 50% of the team's power play time. So that's good. But overall, no points. No shots in his first game, three shots yesterday, which is okay. People really went nuts for Shea Theodore when he got called up. We got so many tweets and questions on Facebook asking who people should drop for him. And I feel like generally, Brian, we were answering saying I wouldn't jump the gun on him just yet unless there was a really obvious person to drop and he wanted to just have dibs. I didn't want to drop, uh, you know, a for sure top power play defenseman or maybe even someone who was reliably doing well as a second defenseman, you know, like a Provorov or whatever. Uh, So yeah, Shea Theodore... So far, I feel like we've kind of been right, but it's only been two games, so who knows? Like, Obviously, we have to see how he gets deployed with the team. Also, even if he gets deployed as a top power play defenseman, you've been saying how you think they've been overperforming and like maybe the top-scoring player on Vegas isn't even worth that much in the long run. It's harder and harder to say that when they keep putting up points. Anyway, so Brian, what do you think at this point? Shea Theodore is he still worth pouncing on if he's in free agency? Like he was a really good power play defenseman in short stretches on Anaheim when he would get called up over the last couple of years at this point. Yeah. He's on Vegas. He's not, he's not like the top defenseman there right now. Maybe he could be. Should people who pounce on him be looking to drop him at this point? If he's still a free agent, should people be jumping on him? Like what's your general sense of Shea Theodore right now?
1: Well, the thing is if he's still a free agent in your league, then you probably don't have to pounce on him because if he's going to be pounced upon, it would have happened already as the hype built leading up to his season debut. If you have him, I think you should probably hang on to him. He has seen the majority of power play time in the two games he's played. He had three shots in his last game. It's just too soon to cut ties, especially if you were ready to add him to your roster immediately. If you were one of the people who pounced on him, that probably means you could use a guy who has some hope of being a first power play unit quarterback A hope that is not assured, but still remains a legitimate hope. And if you missed, you know, the first go around, if you're like, who's Shea Theodore? Now you should consider it. Like if you were especially someone who wanted to add Will Butcher and missed out on him, Shea Theodore might be your next best chance to grab someone mid-season who takes on a big power play role.
0: Yeah, I mean... I don't know. Just, just because, yeah, for sure. It depends who you could drop him for. But we're going to mention some defensemen later on in the show who maybe are becoming new top power play defensemen themselves. You have Hampus Lindholm, who's been getting top power play time on Anaheim recently. Like, what? Let's say you jumped on Shea Theodore right when he got called up. And now you're seeing Hampus Lindholm in your free agency, who's been getting points, getting a ton more minutes. I don't know. It would be hard for me to hold on to Shea Theodore when I could grab Hampus Lindholm, who's going to give me some blocks, seems to be getting some points, and might even have that top power play spot right now. I don't, I don't know. It's tough.
1: It's a real tough one. I mean, Hampus Lindholm, you're looking more of a short-term power play. One guy, in all likelihood, once Fowler comes back, that job goes back to Fowler. And it's a revolving door there anyway. So who knows who ends up where for long in Anaheim when you're talking about their blue line on the power play. I would probably, I don't know. If you're looking for short-term, I'll go Lindholm. If you're hoping to do really well in the long term, I will take a risk with Theodore.
0: Okay, that yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Long-term, once, Fowler's back. Who knows? We saw what happened last year with Lindholm. We'll get to Lindholm. Okay, uh, Jonathan Marchessault so, since we're in Vegas. He's out to eight points in six games since returning from his injury. And he had a three-point performance yesterday versus Ottawa. He has 27 shots in those six games. He's been, like, really good hopefully brian this will be my last vegas question for you also for a few weeks but like i feel like jonathan marsh so at this point he's a must add right like before we were like yeah he'll probably he's doing good but he'll probably slow down but at this point he's got good minutes lots of power play time he's producing like maybe he won't be amazing for the whole rest of the year but i feel like at this point you gotta grab jonathan marsh so if you can and i kind of want to ask you a general well okay you can comment on that and then i kind of want to ask you a general fantasy strategy question any specific thoughts about jonathan marsh so?
1: uh yeah you're right he is a must add as with Every Vegas guy who happens to be scoring, except of the group of the Alex Tucks and the David Perrins and the William Carlson's. I think Jonathan Marshall might be one of the more talented people in that group. And as I just alluded to with their goalie situation, the, the Golden Knights are heading into a tough stretch of games. So, this is actually going to be a litmus test to see what happens to the Golden Knights production when they're facing a bunch of schedule losses ahead, whether or not they can continue despite the hockey gods and have their guys continue putting up points. But with Shibachov moved on, I do have Marciusso now as the guy most likely to lead Vegas in scoring with, I don't know, 55 points
0: max. Regression has to hit sometime well I mean James Neal is there also I think it could be a competition between the two anyways we don't need to get into that so Brian okay this is a little unorthodox on keeping Carlson I'd like to leave our injury section for a second and go to cold streaks because we're like over a month into the season now I feel like it's time to start considering if you've got a Marsha so in free agency obviously it would have to be kind of a shallow league for him to be there but in my I'm in this like we're both in one of these fan tracks cash leagues that we signed up for at the start of the year and Marsha so is a free agent I have like Mitch Marner on my team someone I drafted after that I expect him to be really good. He really hasn't performed. We've been telling people, yeah, you should probably wait on him. You know, he has a high pedigree. We expect him to do well once he gets a good deployment. Another guy's like Jake Gensel, who might, this might be now out of date because he scored a power play goal yesterday and it looks like he got back on the Crosby line, but for a while, Gensel was in the bottom six. So I don't know, we could talk about Gensel and Marner specifically, but in general, like if you have one of these players on your team at this point, who was like expected to be like a 60 point guy, like someone we were really excited about going into the year, but they've been slumping now for around a month. At what point do you make that swap? I, I, I don't know. Just a general fancy question, right? Like you've got Marshall so killing it in free agency. You've got Gensel who hasn't been doing anything, though maybe, like I said, take a look at his deployment because maybe he's back with Crosby right now. You have Mitch Marner, who also, this might also be out of date for him because he had an assist yesterday, but he was pointless in five games beforehand. What do you do in these types of situations? How would you rank these three guys, basically?
1: Yeah, so what would I do? I'm a patient guy. So I do end up with the Ryan to of the deal sometimes, but if it's me... And my team is moseying on just fine at the moment, which it always is. Just joking. Sometimes I, I have trouble in fantasy, Augie, too. Anyway, I wait out Gensel, is what I do. Between him and So. I see it kind of shaking out as So being able to have a more or less consistent 50, 55-point pace. While well, Gensel could still have those huge bursts over short periods that can make the difference for you in one given week or two given weeks. Of course, he's hurting you the rest of the time when he's not getting that deployment and he's not doing his job of putting up points. I think it really comes down to how much do you need production right now? If you can wait, then hold on to Gensel and then maybe even try to trade him. If you don't want to deal with him, try and trade him once he does finally get to scoring in the top six. If you can't afford to wait, like if you do need the production right now, uh, then do what you got to do. Take a little bit of long-term upside hit from dropping Gensel for more reliability in the shorter term from Marsha. So, Elon, I know Connor Shiri has been dropped in a lot of leagues, a non-factor in most fantasy contexts. And Gensel is not there yet, but he is revolving around the depth chart and not producing in a similar way. So I, I don't want to shortchange him that much because I think the upside is still 100% there. Again, it's just a matter of how long are you willing to wait to see if and when it'll pan out.
0: Okay, and Marner, do you feel the same about Marner as you do about Gensel?
1: Yeah, Marner, I'm more okay with letting go. Uh, the reasons for which we've been into plenty on the show before, I still think Marner's a talented guy. Uh, he'll be better when he gets the deployment back, but his upside isn't quite as high as Gensel's. So for that reason, I'm a little more willing to drop him for Marcia So than I am Gensel. By the way, Elon, did you see how weird the, the Leafs lines were the other night?
0: um i think so i i guess jvr was okay i got it open right now so kadri kasperi kapanen and leo komarov so it's always kadri komarov and someone it was usually though i think marlo that's different let's see where marlo went marlo with connor brown and jvr it looks like matthews with nylander and zach hyman so that's always the same uh, then at some point connor brown got with zach hyman and austin matthews looks like the lines shifted around a bit during the game i also see marner was playing with bozak and matt martin for the majority of the game but then marner also got some power play time with jvr and bozak and Kadri, so that's good yeah i don't know it looks like they're messing with things they lost in that game against st louis yesterday so perhaps there'll be another shake up going into their next game
1: yeah, this is not going to stick, whatever's happening. Mitch Miner has been on a line plenty lately with Matt Martin. Hopefully that doesn't last. And Austin Matthews with Hyman and Brown. Usually it's just one of them.
0: It's like a Connor McDavid situation when they put him with maroon and not dry sidle. And they're like, all right, just mcdavid just take care of business okay we need to spread around the offense a little bit uh okay so we were on pittsburgh talking about Gensel. so i want to quickly mention that the pens sent down casey DeSmith after he i guess had a really bad game and they called up a guy named tristan jari to be their backup goalie and jari had a much better start than casey DeSmith did he only let in two goals in a 2-1 overtime loss to calgary 32 saves a great game overall brian who is tristan jari How does he rank among backups to you at this point? You'd think that a backup goalie on the team that just won the Stanley Cup is pretty valuable if he's someone you could rely on. It wasn't so good if it was anti-Niemi, but now that it's someone who's had a good game, maybe people should be jumping on him if it's the type of league where backups are owned.
1: Yeah, maybe. The thing with him, okay, well, here's who he is. He's a 22-year-old second rounder from 2013. This is Tristan Jari, just for anyone who missed you saying his name. Uh, He was starting games semi-regularly, directly out of the WHL when, uh, when he finished his time with the Edmonton Oil Kings. Now he's in his third pro season. He's the Pittsburgh goalie prospect with the most upside. And so I'm actually curious to see if they keep him with the big club warming their nhl bench or if they're going to send him back down to the minors to keep getting some reps in as you'd probably want your 22 year old goalie with upside to get as for backup rankings elon i actually have them later in the show but i won't uh i i don't know that i can put tristan jari in them because i'm sort of counting on him being sent back down it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for him to ride pine for 40 games this year
0: Well, I mean, on one hand, but like a backup goalie plays a decent amount and it's not like Matt Murray has been amazing. Matt Murray is only a 902 goalie so far. It's still obviously very early in the year and there's a couple just really bad games which skew that but you know like backup goalies they play a decent amount it's not like riding the pine but i i get what you're saying like we'll have to see what pittsburgh does if he seems good for a spot start at least at the very least right now if you see he's playing in a particular game and he's available and you want to get a somewhat reliable start from a backup from free agency okay another injury brian i'll mention that razzis line in his day-to-day on buffalo with an upper body injury i haven't heard anything about how severe this is maybe he'll be back really soon he didn't show up at yesterday's morning skate, and that's kind of all we know. That they said he's out with an upper body injury. Looks like yesterday, Victor Antipin took top power play duties in Ristolainen's absence. Uh, no points, no shots, only one assist in ten games overall this season. Is Victor Antipin like anyone? I don't know if we've mentioned him on the show yet this year. Like another guy that maybe could be a more reliable guy to pick up maybe the answer is just don't pick up any of these defensemen on buffalo they have marco scandela they got from minnesota in the offseason he's maybe another contender to take ristolainen's power play time at least he shoots and blocks more than Antipin, so he might be a better guy to add in fantasy if you just want to grab one of them also scandela has been getting decent power play time lately on the second unit so tell us who's Antipin, and are you interested in either him or scandela if it turns out that Ristolainen's is going to be out long term
1: Antipin is an undersized 24-year-old defenseman who'd already amassed five years of KHL experience before joining Buffalo this year. Remember, 24 years old, already in his sixth professional hockey season. Not much of a point score, though, in the KHL. 39 points over his last 115 KHL games. Not very impressive, but we'll see. I mean, that Buffalo power play is due to pick up And uh, maybe he'll be the beneficiary of some good bounces if he's the one manning the point when it does happen. Though I don't see any real significant offensive
0: upside that you should be taking seriously in your pool right now. Okay, and then probably the same for Scandella? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair. I mean, I didn't expect to say much about these guys. Uh, speaking of Ristolainen, though, he only has five assists in 13 games. So far this season, he has 32 shots, which is pretty good. None of them have gone in, unfortunately. Should Ristolainen owners be worried about him at this point, or is now like a really good buy low opportunity now that he's been slumping and now injured, like a carry Price situation?
1: I think Ristolainen owners should be a little worried, especially in leagues where you were counting on his blocks. It's a weird thing to be sad about but Rasmus Ristelainen is seeing a good chunk fewer shot attempts against him while he's on the ice and even strength this year, which of course means fewer shot block attempts. So maybe that's where the blocks have gone. It's really too early to say whether... that's going to be a sustained thing, uh, like it's a result of an improved system or better play from Ristolainen, or if it's just a small sample, that'll regress back to him blocking a bunch of shots again. Right now, the early returns on his shot blocks aren't great. Uh, At least the shots on goal are still mostly there. And as I mentioned, the Buffalo power play has to get going before long. Their power play shooting percentage is down below 7%, which is dead last in the league. Even if they wanted to stay dead last in shooting percentage, they should still improve by about 3%. Last year's worst power play shooting percentage team was just a shade under 10%. Again, Buffalo's under 7% right now. So, you know, eventually power play points will come and you have to think Ristolainen will be on the point when they happen. So for that reason, you can still remain optimistic that way, but it is a, a bit of a rough start from some of us who were hoping for a big step forward from him this year.
0: Yeah, I have him in quite a few leagues and I haven't been happy Not happy now to have him in my IR, But, yeah, we'll see what happens. It's nice to hear that they've had a lot of bad luck on the power play. That could maybe be a reason why those power play points haven't come. Uh, By the way, a big casualty of this crappy Buffalo D, considering we're talking about Victor Antipin and Marco Scandella as their new top options, is Robin Leonard, who has been horrible this year. He has three wins in 10 games, and 8.96 save percentage. Uh, Like, what would you do if you were a Leonard owner at this point? Would you ever be comfortable starting him if you owned him? Like, I feel like he's always concerning just because of this Buffalo defense. We were kind of into him going into the year. he had a very low-key 920 save percentage last year. This year, not looking good. Like seems to me like I'd rather have a lot of other goalies ahead of him at this point, like a Jimmy Howard and like a Varlamov. I think I'd rather him over Leonard, like Ranta. Uh, Leonard's falling pretty quickly down my list of starters. Like, what about Markstrom versus Leonard? Who would you want between those two?
1: Yeah, with the Canucks winning games, I still think Lehner has the better upside for save percentage. Right now he's hurting a little bit because his penalty kill save percentage is quite a bit down, uh, even though his even strength save percentage, like it's dipped a little bit, but it's mostly steady. So we can expect that penalty kill save percentage to regress. And so his overall number can recover a little bit. Interestingly, he's actually seen fewer penalty kill time than most starters around the league, almost all of them. So hopefully more time on the penalty kill will help that number regress rather than make it worse. (laughs) Yeah, but that'll make his
0: overall save percentage worse. The more penalty kill time he has, that'll not be good.
1: Yeah, no, I knew when I wrote that, that it was a really backwards
0: way of thinking. I'm glad you were there to just spell out exactly how backwards it was. Okay, so that's Robin Leonard. A little concerning. Okay, let's go from injuries to outjuries, the happier part of keeping Carlson. And then we'll do hot streaks. It'll be an even happier part. And then we'll end on cold streaks. And we could all be disappointed about how all of these players are letting us down. But okay, we're into Algeries now. Fantasy hockey headline number three. Auntie Ranta's back for Arizona. I just mentioned him. He had a really rough return versus Buffalo on Thursday. Took a 5-4 loss, but it was great yesterday versus Carolina. Stopped 36 of 37 shots and pulled out a 2-1 shootout win It was very, very interesting. Actually, I watched the shootout and they they show these stats for every player in the shootout. You know, what are their shootout percentage conversion rates and also for goalies, like what's their rate. So anti-Ranta was actually like 20 for 40 in shootout attempts. Like he was, he's really bad at shootouts apparently, but he was able to pull out the win yesterday. So that's good. I think he let one goal out of the three shots against him. Anyway, Ranta's back. I feel like uh, we don't need to talk too much about him. It seems like whatever we thought about him before is is the same. He's a good goalie. It seems like he's been good on the Rangers for a while. Arizona hopefully can start getting things together now that he's healthy. Uh, Like, I like him. I think he's okay. Like, I wouldn't go crazy about him, but I'm happy he's back. If I had him in one of my leagues, I would be happy about it. And if he was a free agent in one of my leagues, I would definitely be considering adding him if I wanted starts and maybe even a somewhat reasonable, say, percentage. Uh, Brian, can I just move on to some Arizona forwards that I want to talk about?
1: Yeah, sure. I'll just say, like you were talking about Laner going into the season, we were really excited about him or intrigued by him. But same with Ranta, like that intrigue has turned into a little bit of fear. A little more so for Laner. I don't know though. Like I, if I were trying to to pick one to be better, I'd lean just a little bit to anti Ranta. I know he's the one coming off injury, but it's Laner's injury history that's the one that concerns me. Uh, you're essentially looking at two goalies with save percentage upside on teams looking like they're headed for the league basement. So hope for good rate stats and count every win you get from them as a blessing. Sure. Well, maybe Arizona
0: has more upset. I, I hope so. They, they look like they have good players. They just need to get it, get it together. Okay, well, let's talk about some of these players. So we've got a guy named Christian Dvorak. I shouldn't say a guy name. We've, we've talked about him before. So Christian Dvorak, he has seven points in his last nine games. He's playing with Max Domi and Christian Fisher on, I guess, the second line. Is this a guy that is on your radar, Christian Dvorak? I feel like most people wouldn't have realized that he's been doing well over the past couple of weeks. Yeah, we mentioned him a little while over the last
1: little while as as his star has risen and fallen as a young guy with upside, but not as much relatively as some of the other up-and-comers in the Arizona organization. Uh, for anyone who's not familiar with Christian Dvorak, he's a second-rounder who tore apart the OHL, scoring two points per game with London two years ago. And then last year, he managed just 33 points in 78 games as a rookie which isn't as bad as it sounds when you consider that Dvorak was on a 50-point pace over the final 33 games of the year, scoring 11 goals and 9 assists for 20 points in that span. On the whole, though, keep your expectations tempered. Uh, Top six forward production can be reasonable from him, especially if he can get the deployment and one other top six line mate like Domi for most of the way. I'm not jumping on him as a 50 point guy just yet, though. I think maybe a half point per game would be a more realistic expectation if you are considering adding
0: him to your team. Yeah, I feel like anyone adding someone like Christian Dvorak, if it's not a dynasty league, they're thinking like for the next like four games and then ready to drop him if, you know, he doesn't do anything. Arizona actually plays four games next week, I believe. So it might be a good chance to grab him. And try him out or you can go for one of these other Arizona guys that I'm about to mention so we just said that he's playing with Max Domi that's kind of not great for Max Domi who we expected this year to be on the top line with Keller and Stepan but he's been bumped for Brendan Perlini who's been on the top line also domi didn't even get on the top power play yesterday he had been on the top power play but he was bumped there as well overall it looks like domi's having a decent season he has 10 points in 15 games but he has just been getting an assist every second game for the last eight games like the definition of a half point per game player lately do you think people should be giving up on domi is or is he in the same category as like marner and Gensel, where it's like we expected them to be on good lines it hasn't really happened the production hasn't come as much as we've expected but we think they'll bounce back. Do you see all these three as the same or do you see Domi as above or below them?
1: I see Domi as a little bit above them. He has 43 shots over his first 15 games. That's really good. And a 2.3% shooting conversion rate leaves a lot of room for improvement by regression. So I would rather wait him out than Gensel, than Marner or take lesser production potentially from Martius. So uh, especially with not much happening in his absence, like Arizona is not lighting it up. With him demoted, they're going to need him back up there to get goals.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of surprised just because I never really thought of Max Domi as someone who would be approaching like 60 points this year. I thought maybe 55 would be really good for him. And I was expecting more. Like I was expecting 60 plus for Gensel and Marner. Or at least 60 so yeah interesting anyway uh brendan perlini who i said is on the top line and getting some power play deployment he hasn't done anything with it so maybe things will get shaken up maybe domi gets another crack up there which maybe affects christian devorox you kind of have to watch the whole situation by the way derek stepan who's the top line top power play centerman he's pointless in six games now he's taking lots of shots it's so weird because clayton keller seems to be just getting points in every single game and keller plays with stepan this must just be a bad luck thing right like he's must be on the ice for so many goals and he's just not getting credit for anything
1: yeah he has a super low IPP and actually a lot like Domi he has 46 shots over his first 15 games three more than Domi and a 4.3% shooting conversion rate which leaves a good amount of room for improvement by regression so yeah I think the points are going to come and for him the, the deployment is still there you look at Clayton Keller and it's like hey this guy's being greedy with his shooting percentage he's up at 18% which is nine times Domi's four-and-a-half-time stephens, they'll get there soon enough.
0: Or maybe Clayton Keller just is better at shooting. But I, I know generally for shooting percentage, that's not how it works, and it's a bit of luck on if the goalies happen to be on their game or not for the specific shot. Next, out jury. Let's go to Florida. Roberto Luongo surprisingly returned from his injury yesterday versus the Rangers. probably led in five goals on 44 shots in a 5 4 overtime loss. So, not the best return. I was really surprised by that return. I thought Luongo was still going to be out for a while. I thought Reimer, I've been telling people, like, oh, yeah, Reimer's going to be a starting goalie for a while. By the way, Reimer really stunk up the joint at the end of Luongo's absence. He got pulled in two straight games for anti Niemi. You know, you're not doing well if your team thinks they might as well put Niemi in to see if he can save the day. Of course, Niemi- Emmy sucked as well forget about him i don't even know what's going to happen with him now i'm sure florida's now thinking why do we even have this guy anyway what what do you make of this panthers goalie situation right now are we just back to a 50 50 thing with roberto luongo and reimer or now do they just go "Ah, luongo you should just get a bunch of starts now since reimer clearly couldn't cut it
1: looking at what reimer managed yeah it was a nightmare for him and his fantasy owners and i guess for his real life hockey team too. and six starts that reimer's had this year he's only topped a 912 save percentage twice And Reimer's also put up a save percentage south of 880 in half of those six starts. So yeah, the door now is definitely open for Luongo, who remember, had a not good year last year, despite some numbers showing that he'd actually overperformed. If the Panthers weren't paying Luongo and Reimer a combined $8 million, I'd suggest that this might be an opportunity for them to look for outside help. But for as long as these two are the guys, yeah, expect there to be some back and forth between them with turbulent starts from each. Niemie probably out of the picture as an 872 goalie for Florida in two half game appearances.
0: I wonder, Brian, has Antti Niemi played his last NHL game at this point? I think there's an over 40% chance that that's the case.
1: Yeah, I know you're trying to call your shot after calling his demotion. So, uh, so good
0: for you. Well, we'll see. All right, I'm calling it here. We'll never see Niemie play again. I just don't understand, like, who, like, Florida's not. I guess if Florida has another injury, they'll have to bring him up. But, like, why would any team play him? Sorry, it's kind of sad. You know, Niemie had a decent career. He was looking good for a while on Chicago and at the start on San Jose. Now he's kind of like, it's embarrassing. You're embarrassing yourself, anti Niemie. Like, I, I feel bad. Anyway, okay, we're on Florida Brighton. You kind of called it last week. I brought up how Aaron Eckblad seemed to have supplanted Keith Yandel as the top power play defenseman. And you said, well, you know, this might not be a for sure thing yet. Yandel could still get back up there and you were totally right it doesn't look like Ekblad has completely stolen this top power play job after having it for a couple of weeks he was once again on power play two for yesterday's game bumped for Keith Yandel who was back on the top power play no points on the power play for Yandel but he did actually score a goal yesterday so I guess like what do you make of this D situation if you had to guess who's going to be the top power play D man for the majority of the season is this going to be a back and forth thing just like the goalies or do you think like Yandel has the job now for a while do you think Ekblad's just going to take it back I feel like if you think that Ekblad is going to get the job back, now might be a really nice time to trade for him while he's temporarily off this amazing unit with Barkov, Huberdo, Dadanov, and Trochek. Like, maybe now the Ekblad owner is like, oh, ah, oh, too bad. I guess he wasn't as good as I thought he was, and maybe he this was just temporary.
1: I'm still going to guess that Keith Yandel mans the power play point for the majority of the time in Florida assuming nobody else comes in from the outside just between him and Ekblad. That's what Yandel's there for in the first place. One thing about Ekblad on or off that top power play unit is his shots on goal rates have dropped, though his shot attempt rates have held steady. So if you're still into like a 35-ish point Aaron Ekblad, so long as he can keep replicating his shot counts from last year, he actually should be good to do that, even though it doesn't look that way so far. And he's also getting two extra minutes of ice per game over last year. And that'll help him get those shots as well.
0: Okay, so a fun situation to watch in Florida. That top power play just has so many studs on it that the top power play defenseman looks really like a really plumb position to be in, kind of like Pittsburgh's top power play defenseman. Okay, let's go to Philly, another place where it's really good to be the top power play defenseman and their top power play defenseman. I've said that phrase like five times in the last minute is back. Ghost Bear is back. He had a power play assist in his return versus Colorado yesterday. Right back to the top power play unit. Provorov back to the second unit. Looks like Provorov wasn't able to pull a Ghost Bear like Coast Bear did to straight a few years ago on Ghost Bear. I guess that's no surprise. Ghost Bear has 14 points in 12 games so far, nine of them on the power play. Brian, do you think that Shane Gosses Bear is going to hit 60 points this year? I'm still going to say
1: it's much more likely that Ghost is closer to 50 than he is to 60, but it is nice to see the bounce back that we predicted all through last year finally bear fruit or
0: or have borne fruition, if you will. Ah, Nice callback to a previous episode. Only the hardcore listeners will know what you're talking about. Brian, I'm going to disagree because if you think that Ghost Bear will be able to put up a 50-point pace for the rest of the year... That would land him at 60 points because of this nice little uh, head start that he's given himself. So if you're saying that you think he'll be closer to 50, that means that you think he's going to have to go on a slump at some point and overall only put up like a 45 point place for the rest of the year. Is that what you think is going to happen?
1: Maybe. I guess that's sort of what I'm suggesting if I'm saying he'll finish closer to 50 points and 60 points. I guess I was actually more trying to say that his pace from here on out will be more of a 50-point defenseman. You shouldn't expect a 60-point pace the whole way through yeah that's
0: right i don't know why i gave you this like trick question yeah come then, on <laughs> I was just, uh, for the listeners wondering uh, generally when we're talking about players i don't care about how many points they're going to end up with however many points a player has so far that's in the past we're generally talking about these guys what we think they're going to be capable of moving forward of course like, who cares what happened before okay nino nita rider another outro he returned to minnesota some people asked about if this would hurt jason zucker and it did and it didn't so zucker stuck with koivu and grandland at even strength but nita Ryder played on the top power play with koivu granlin Suter, and spurgeon yesterday in the 2-0 loss to chicago nino got his first two points of the season in his first two games back from injury he's been playing with Stahl and someone named luke kunin at even strength anyways brian at this point minnesota kind of like last year they have a lot of players who look like they could be good last year a bunch of them were really good like what's your minnesota forward power rankings at this point like i'll tell you their leading scores they've got Nico koivu has eight points in 12 games Stahl also has eight points in 12 games Chris Stewart has eight points in 12 games. I know you'll have him at the bottom, but just throwing him in there. Jason Zucker, seven points in 12 games. Then you could skip a lot of guys. Then you get some people who are away with injuries. Granlund has three points in seven games. Nino Niederreiter has two points in six games. So like like Koivu, Stahl, Zucker, Granlund, Niederreiter, what are your power rankings for Minnesota forwards that you would want in fantasy?
1: Eric Stahl, Miko Koivu, Nino Niederreiter, Mikael Granlund, Jason Zucker. Though Zucker always rises in that mix from time to time. And I'm actually thinking, as I say it out loud, that I might have Grandland too low. It's just, it, power rankings are those rankings that are supposed to change every week based on what's just happened, right? That is the definition of power rankings by which I am making these power rankings, which is why Grandland is fourth on the list and not second or third.
0: Oh, okay. Well, then that's not what I meant to ask you then. <laughs> I don't care about that. Like, moving forward, who do you want?
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Eric Stall, Miko Koivu, Mikhail Grandland, Nino Niederreiter, and Jason Zucker.
0: Man, uh, I think I disagree. With you. I'll be interested to hear what people say. I feel like Granlund so? Grandland, Grandland is better than the rest, I think. Then I would think the rest. Well, like Koivu and Stahl. I'd rather have Granlund first on that list.
1: Know, uh, if I'm sure about one guy, it's actually having Eric Stahl first. I, I, I
0: move Granlund second. Okay, but also Eric Stahl isn't on the top line and isn't on the top power play. It doesn't seem like Stahl's playing with Niederreiter and Luke Kunin while Granlund and Zucker and Koivu are all together and playing more minutes and are on the top power play. I guess that could change, of course. Okay, you stick with your guns. I also think Miko Koivu is kind of underrated. Like He's been a free agent in my Cupful League all throughout the year, picking him up and dropping him for spot starts. Everyone's taking their turn riding the Miko Koivu train. But uh, yeah, he's got eight points in 12 games. Every once in a while, he gives us a multi-point game he's even taking a lot of shots this year so let's not forget about him also another guy to not forget about is jared spurgeon he's actually leading minnesota in scoring i'll bet you you would have asked your friends or whatever like who's the leading scorer on minnesota right now i don't think many people would have guessed jared spurgeon but yeah he has a totally under the radar nine points in 12 games played plus he shoots and blocks a decent amount really valuable as a defenseman on your fantasy team especially when he's putting up these points i already mentioned that he's on the top power play patron jade asked recently if she should burn her top waiver priority to grab justin falk in her league or maybe she had like fifth priority or whatever she wanted to try to use up her priority to get justin falk who had been dropped and i asked her who was in free agency just to get a gauge of like how good is Falk compared to you know the replacement options and she listed a bunch of kind of nobodies and then jared spurgeon was in that list like uh, like a little diamond in the rough i feel like people just don't give jared spurgeon the you know respect he deserves brian i'm curious to know like who would you prefer between spurgeon and falk like with falk Typical story, right? He's on the Carolina top power play. He takes a ton of shots, but he only has three points in 12 games. Meanwhile, Spurgeon is getting a point in almost every game. He's been totally consistent and reliable.
1: So the lowdown on Spurgeon first, my tune really hasn't changed on him since we last brought him up. He seems good to reach 40 points and then a few more points for Sugar on top. If the power play deployment that he's getting right now holds and the good news for him is that he has seen more than half of the wild share of defensive power play time in five of his last six games. Uh, a couple of them by slimmer margins, like seeing just 51%, but still, and he's not in danger of losing that spot either as the Wild are happy to run their power play with two defensemen, which nicely allays any possible concerns that Spurgeon needs to compete for one spot with Ryan Suter. As for Justin Falk, uh, looking at why his season has been so disappointing so far, uh, his shot attempt and shots on goal rates are actually up this year over the last few years. His own shooting percentage and on ice shooting percentages are also good too believe it or not the thing is he's just down to a criminally low 23% IPP at even strength when we're used to seeing him up at 50% so I think the points are going to come the little bit of concern you can have there is Noah Hannafin who's not really breathing down Falk's neck but he is there so hopefully Falk can reassure his coach and fantasy owners to lock in his depth chart standing before too long uh, going back to Spurgeon, now Spurgeon's IPP is actually double what it's been historically at even strength, while Fox is half of what it's historically been. So I think Falk is still going to come out ahead at the end of the day, but he's not going right now in terms of production and isn't getting you blocks either. So if I had both at my disposal, like if I had both in free agency, I would go Spurgeon right now and then make the switch for Falk when the time is right. How's okay. that? Is that a reasonable answer to the question Falk or Spurgeon, like Spurgeon now and then Falk?
0: Yeah, I guess so. But of course, there's the possibility that someone else is going to grab Falk in the meantime. So you have to be happy with taking the risk that you're just going to be stuck with Spurgeon. I don't think that's a very bad uh, consolation prize. I think we told Jade, or I think my suggestion was because her league counts shots. And so obviously it's really nice to get all of Justin Falk's shots. I think I said, yeah, sure, go for Falk. But if you don't get him, I'd be happy to have Spurgeon. Maybe I even suggested don't use your waiver priority. See if he you know, gets through waivers and then grab Falk. And if not, then you could grab Spurgeon. I hope I said that now. Maybe I didn't say that. I wish I did uh let us know how that turned out jade uh, okay let's go to our next fantasy hockey headline of the week which is hot streaks and i guess our fantasy hockey headlines of the week are always the same it's just injuries outreaks outreaks hot streaks cold streaks i don't know why why i even call them that but anyways hot streaks columbus has a nice four game schedule starting on a monday and tuesday of next week so that's very convenient if you want to stream and also convenient is they have a couple of potentially available free agents on hot streaks right now so first josh anderson has eight points in his last 10 games 32 shots in that span. He's playing on a great line. He's playing with Artemi Panarin and Nick Felino. He's also on the second power play. Then you also have Oliver Bjorkstrand, who has six points in his last seven games, less consistent shots than Josh Anderson. Lots of no shot on goal games, but also a couple of four shot on goal games. So it's hard to know what you're going to get from him in a given day. He's been playing on a line with Dubinsky and Boone Jenner and also on the second power play with Josh Anderson. Uh, We've already talked a lot about Oliver Bjorkstrand and his pedigree on this show, but I feel like this may be our first time bringing up Josh Anderson. So Brian, who is josh anderson and is either him or oliver bjorkstrand worth an ad for this four game schedule next week like who do you like better between the two
1: josh anderson was heard of by most people just at the start of the year because he was a contract holdout right up to the end of training camp who is josh anderson and why is he holding out he's never been a big score at any point of his career but he has pretty nice numbers all around so far as an nhler last year as a rookie Uh, He managed 17 goals, 12 assists for 29 points in 78 games. But Anderson saw no special teams ice time in only 12 minutes per game. But you say, hey, that's pretty decent production for only 12 minutes per game. And it's true. He was fifth on the team in even strength points per 60 uh, ahead of Atkinson, Wenberg, Foligno, while playing mostly with William Carlson and Matt Calvert. So there's a chance that Josh Anderson could be helpful in a top six role in the NHL. But remember that he's never really been a guy to be a top end producer at any other level. So why start here? It's probably happened before. As for Oliver Bjorkstrand, um, I like him more than Josh Anderson. They're probably both worth an ad in the short term. Though I would guess that Anderson is closer than Bjorkstrand to losing his spot in the top six once Cam Atkinson returns from injury, which might not even be on tuesday that's the latest maybe he can be back by tuesday but possibly not uh yeah so i prefer bjork strand for better continued deployment plus i
0: think he's got more offensive skill okay that's fair. I think if it was me, I would go Josh Anderson, but I think it's just a difference of our strategies. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I like to always go with the guy. If they're pretty even, I like to go with the one on the line that looks better. I think that playing with Felino and Panarin is better in the short term than playing with Dubinsky and Boone Jenner. So I'd rather have Josh Anderson right now. But you're right that maybe Josh Anderson is more likely to get bumped in the long term. I don't think either of these would be long-term pickups. Otherwise, they would have already been owned in like a dynasty league or something like that. Okay, Brian, next Hot streak. Uh, I already mentioned Hampus Lindholm earlier in the show, but let's bring him up properly now. He's been on the top power play action on Anaheim for the last three games. One power play goal to show for it. So, not amazing production lately, but nice to know that he's there. He's up to four points in seven games on the season overall. He's putting up some decent hidden block numbers as well. So, if you're in a Bangers and Mash league, that's another reason to look at Hampus Lindholm. Brandon Montour seems to be on the second power play now, but he's still been getting decent power play time. Sammy Vatanen saw some power play time yesterday. There were only two power plays in the games. So it's hard to really gauge how things are looking. We'll have to watch a couple more games, but it seems like these three defensemen are going to be jumping around maybe like they'll all take turns being on the first and second units uh montour was looking really good when fowler initially got injured but now he's pointless in four games and potentially bumped from the top power play vatnin has also been pointless in four games on the season overall for him i feel like both montour and vatnin may be snoozers at this point point. and i guess the general question is are any of these anaheim defensemen really worth that much while ryan Getzlaf is out of the picture
1: I think there is some value from Anaheim defensemen, even with Getzlaff injured. We mentioned the Buffalo power play struggling with the league worst power play shooting percentage. Uh, Buffalo is the only team with a worse power play shooting percentage than Anaheim, who are ranked 30th in the league in that measure. So it's hard to blame anyone uh, on the Ducks for not producing in that top power play spot. But it is also very exciting then to see Hampus Lindholm be the guy who does it. He's arguably the most talented all-around defenseman on that Ducks decor, uh, Travis Yaw said as much when we chatted with him a few months back. So the upside is there. But as far as we know, that merry-go-round for top-end deployment in Anaheim between you know Vatnin, Lindholm, Montour, and then Fowler, once he's healthy, is going to continue to spin. Uh, so I think whoever's running that power play is still worthwhile, even with Getzlaff out. And of course, Montour and Manson could provide peripherals, to help your team but if not if there's no production no peripherals and they're not on power play one then yeah they could very well be snoozing
0: so yeah and you're snoozing if you're holding them i think and hampus lindholm is in free agency if i was gonna have an anaheim defenseman right now who's healthy i think it would be hampus lindholm but that could change later in the week. Uh, by the way, on Anaheim, Ryan Miller played his second game of the season yesterday, and he was great in a 2 1 shootout loss to San Jose. He stopped 44, 45 shots. He now has a 9.51 save percentage in the two games he's played this year. Meanwhile, John Gibson has had two straight clunkers since the last episode where I said that Miller's outjury shouldn't pose a threat to Gibson. He'll be fine. I'm right about that, right? I feel like John Gibson is the starter and Ryan Miller is the for sure backup, though Ryan Miller was a starter last year. And if he's playing better, I wonder if Anaheim would give him more time. Like, what's your sense there? At the very least, I would say that Ryan Miller is looking like one of the better backup to owns right now. You were saying you were going to bring up some backups. Uh, Miller versus Jari. Who would you want between those two?
1: I'll take Ryan Miller. I think he might get a few more games in unless like Matthew Murray is not having the greatest start to his year. I'm still sort of operating on the assumption that Jari is supposed to play games at this point in his career. So if I'm trying to bank on one today, it would be Ryan Miller. Uh, other candidates for top backup owns early on. Uh, Michael Neuwirth, although is he the backup in Philadelphia? He's crushing Brian Elliott. Uh, Anders Nilsson, of course, I've made my case for. And Mike Condon quietly still having a good back in fact he's he's far out playing Craig Anderson who I'm embarrassed to say has not done very well at all this year after I went out on a limb and put him in my tier three uh and how about this Elon I'm gonna throw one new name out there that was not on my radar before tonight's 38 safe shutout of the Chicago Blackhawks but Charlie Lindgren in Montreal there's no reason why Al Montoya should be backing up Carey Price if they have this guy who's quite capable. Of it, and I mean, he looks capable tonight. I don't know long term if he's going to be. I'm trying to find some quick scouting reports on him. I don't see much. Uh, he's been okay in the AHL, so uh, maybe you take a look at him for as long as Price is out. I imagine he gets the next
0: start. Come on, you're you're grabbing the Montreal backup as a top backup to own. Like Montreal's getting shelled all the time. Eh. I, do, I How many times have I made the case? that they, they play well. They're not such a bad team. Okay. Sure. Anyways, what about my question about Gibson? Like, should Gibson owners be a little worried that Ryan Miller is doing well and Gibson's had a couple of bad games? Or am I just fear-mongering?
1: Fear-mongering. Okay. Gibson's still going to get the heavier share of starts. This isn't like Gibson and Freddie Anderson. Uh, it's more like Gibson and Jonathan
0: Bernier. Okay, so we'll check in again maybe in a couple of weeks if, if this trend continues and Ryan Miller continues to do really well. I mean, Ryan Miller has been on a pretty weak vancouver canucks team over the last few years kind of like mike smith on arizona like it's not it's interesting to see one of these goalies that's been on a bad team for so long like how they do on a decent team so we'll have to see how ryan miller does there uh mike smith is obviously doing really well in calgary so far Uh, okay brian blast from the past for you another defenseman who's been getting power play time and another name that we used to be into i feel like two or three years ago on the show and has completely disappeared but how about cody franzen who's been getting 50% or higher power play time on ice in the last couple of games for the chat room. Do you even know what team Cody Franzen is on? I wonder, I'll bet you some people don't even know. I'll say it. Uh, The Chicago Blackhawks. That's the team that Cody Franzen is on and he's been getting some power play time. And I guess Chicago played today, uh, I believe. So I could see if that was still the case. I wrote this last night and uh, no, not as much. Well, some, he was on the second power play unit. So Keith and Seabrook were on the top unit and then Cody Franzen was on unit two. Anyway, Cody Franzen had nothing yesterday versus Minnesota. Also nothing today versus Montreal in terms of points, but he's been playing season highs in terms of time on ice, like over 20 minutes. And he has three points, I guess, now in six games on the season. The first two points came early on before he got scratched for a while. This might be a whole lot of nothing. Maybe this is even worth talking about, but I feel like Cody Franzen getting power play time, playing now three games in a row, getting good deployment, like over 20 minutes and power play time worth knowing about cody franson is there and like brent seabrook he's been pretty useless right he's pointless in six games now he only has two points in 13 games or i guess 14 games now for the year like he had a really good three-point game versus pittsburgh and the Emmy to start the season but since then like i said only two points brent seabrook had 39 points last year 49 the year before if you recall Duncan Keith was injured for a bit so Seabrook was on the top power play with the red hot Patrick Kane that year uh it looks like Seabrook is kind of looking like a 25 to 30 point guy at this point maybe not worth owning even in leagues that count his peripherals if he's not going to give you at least some offense so what's your general sense on like Seabrook is he starting to look like a snoozer and Cody Franzen is he someone that people should even add to their watch list or am I being silly mentioning him
1: I'll begin with Franzen because it sort of seems like you might want to consider adding him. He's on the top pair right now, playing with Duncan Keith at even strength. And tonight, he had six shots on goal and four blocks, throwing a hit if your league counts that too. Uh, not too shabby. That's great peripheral production from someone you can grab off the waiver wire if he's going to keep, keep doing that for even, I don't know, another few games. Brent Seabrook, On the flip side, not looking so hot these days. I don't know what the deal is. He has had a season-low ice time tonight, 19 minutes and 7 seconds, and that's a low by about, like, over a minute. So uh, I'm not sure why the ice time is disappearing. This is from a week ago uh, on The Athletic, in an article from Scott Powers talking about how Chicago's blue line was having a hard time getting points, uh, and I quote, the Blackhawks have gone mostly to a four forward one defenseman power play and have been using Keith and Brent Seabrook as the defenseman on each unit. Keith has zero goals, one primary assist and eight shots on goal in 49 minutes of power play ice time. And Seabrook has zero goals, two secondary assists and six shots on goal in 32 and a half minutes of power play ice time. So look, poor production from the two guys they've counted on to be their power play pot stirrers in the past. I'm not surprised they tried to mix it up. But I'm also not sure that Seabrook's power play duties can be over for long. I mean, he had 16 power play points last year, 31 the year before. Going cold turkey on him would strike me as kind of odd. Uh, He's still managing to get a couple shots, a couple blocks in the meantime, though, and seeing some power play time, although not the primo that we would hope he'd see. As a Seabrook owner myself, I'm still like, I don't know if I'm swayed or biased a little bit. I'm holding out hope. I still think he probably is the next best option in Chicago. They're just trying to figure out exactly what's going to work or get the team going. I don't
0: know. I guess. Okay. I feel like he's looking to be more like a 25 to 30 point guy now, as opposed to like the closer to 40 point guy he was last year. So we'll have to see what happens. Like you're saying, yeah, he hasn't been getting any power play points. So once those come, maybe that'll help if he could get them, if he's not bumped by Cody Franzen. Uh, also, just for completion, I don't want to talk about the Chicago Lions because we do it every week, but just FYI, DeBrinket, Panic, and Taves, and then Kane, Saad, and Schmaltz have been the top two lines recently. And then a top power play of Anisimov, Kane, Saad, and Schmaltz, and Keith, though I guess I mentioned that uh, Keith and... Anyways, that was as of yesterday. Uh, I will say one thing schmaltz nick schmaltz this is ridiculous like how is he on a line and power play with patrick kane but has only put up like one goal in his nine games played since returning from injury like have you ever seen such a case of like such great deployment like it looks so good he's playing with patrick kane who's doing fine himself and yet he's like doing nothing he's playing with him on even strength and on the power plates it's weird to me I would like to hear any comparisons from our listeners, anyone
1: listening who can tweet at us with the name of another player who has gotten such good deployment and done so little with it. Our hopes were very high for Schmaltz. Like, I suppose he can still do something. The Hawks are not scoring a ton right now. Though There are are team-wide scoring problems, especially on that power play, that need to be sorted out.
0: Okay, yeah. I guess you could mention Anisimov, who was in a similar situation for a couple of years, but he was at least getting like a half point per game. We're seeing nothing from Schmaltz.
1: Yeah, he was still doing better than what Schmaltz is doing now. He was my first thought, actually,
0: but even he was doing better than Schmaltz, as I just said. Yeah, okay, so maybe he even bumps him at some point or or not. Maybe Schmaltz is bound for a breakout right now. Keep your eye on him. He's on a good line. He's doing nothing, of course. Okay, let's go to another player aside from Franson that will make you say, like, what year is this? Like, am I listening to a new episode of Keeping Carlson? Uh, but don't look now, but Rick Nash has two goals and three assists in his last four games after he started the year with a measly one goal in his first 11 games played. Considering he was getting good deployment and taking like four to five shots per game, we knew this was coming, right? Like, I know Brian, you've made fun of me for being into Nash because I have him in my cup full league and I like refused to drop him even though he wasn't getting any points. But I remember just thinking, like, I feel like I should be vindicated for the like teasing that you were giving me. Because yeah, like he wasn't getting any points. But this is like a classic Even Carlson thing. He was like taking a ton of shots. He was playing with good players. Those are the hallmarks of someone that is gonna start producing. Like Or maybe are you going to tell me now, sell high while you can, the scoreless streak is about to happen again with Rick Nash?
1: No, I think you are somewhat vindicated. Consider yourself vindicated. He's actually upped his shot attempt rates, his unblocked shot attempt rates, and his shot on goal rates this year, which I didn't see coming after three years of decline heading into his age 33-year-old season. So can you blame me for thinking Rick Nash was going to not be suddenly fantasy relevant again? Uh, He's also hanging in just fine to a top six role rather than slipping into a top nine. But let's not go too overboard, like six points in 15 games on the whole. Uh, And I'm not thinking he should have a boatload more than that. So you're still looking at 45, maybe 50 points, but his shots on goal can make him like kind of a hired gun to win that cat in a given
0: week. Yeah, and also don't forget a shot on goal sometimes turns into a goal that's the whole that's the whole idea yes but not so often this year for rick nash Sure. But just to say, he's like not only a hired gun for shots, like he's a hired gun for shots that should also be able to get you points every once in a while, like more points than the like only one goal in 14 games. But I, I think we're on the same page. Okay. Uh, so looking at the Rangers lines while we're here, they've been rolling with Zabanejad, Kreider, Bucinevich as line one, and then Nash, Hayes, and Zuccarello. And then JT Miller, Jimmy Vesey, and De Harney, I guess, as line three in the top power play has been Bucinevich, Kreider, Zabanejad, Zuccarello, and Shattenkirk. My quick takeaways from seeing these lines, I've got three takeaways, Brian, then you could like say what you want about them. First of all, JT Miller continuing to put up big points, even though he seems to be getting crappy deployment. He had three assists yesterday at Florida in the 5-4 win. He had one goal and five assists in his last four games. And Like I said, he's on like a line with uh, Jimmy Vesey and David DeHarnay, and he's not on the top power play. Like I, I want to say now is the time to sell high on JT Miller, and he won't be able to keep this up, but I feel like we always do that. And we're always wrong. Like, he keeps producing. Like, what's with this guy? He's like the opposite of Nick Schmaltz.
1: Because
0: he keeps producing
1: even in poor deployment situations. Yeah, we learned our lesson last year. The thing about JT Miller is that we know he's talented, but without the deployment there, it's hard to really buy in on him either. So you're kind of caught in this middle space where it's like, yeah, he's in the top nine. He's not going to get a lot of opportunity. And then he suddenly is still able to put up points. Who would
0: you prefer, Elon, between JT Miller and Rick Nash? i think for the c- cupful i would take rick nash just because i'm loving his shots and i think maybe even if jt miller gets a couple more points rick nash is probably more valuable to my team because of the shots like i don't think he's gonna get so so many more points than nash especially because nash is playing with good is, is playing with better players he should do better he's playing with zuccarello jt miller's playing with david deharney anyway okay brian my other takeaways uh buchnevich obviously it looks like a great spot for him if he's playing with zibanejad and Kreider, and then also on the top power play He's pointless in his last two games. He went on a run of four goals and two assists in four games before that. Probably still a must-add if you can get him at this point, I would think. Like, who do you like between him and those Columbus guys, like Josh Anderson and Oliver Bjorkstrand? Seems like, I'm guessing you're probably going to say Bucinievich is a level above those guys.
1: Yeah, I'll still go Bucinievich, although Bjorkstrand isn't so far behind, but far enough that I can decisively say Bucinievich.
0: Okay, and then uh, let's just mention Mika jad. Doesn't seem to be slowing down. He's got eight points in his last six games. He's up to 14 points in 15 games on the season. How high will he end up this year? And I'm kind of curious, how badly do you think the Sens blew it by trading him? Or did they blow it by trading him? Kind of seems like they did. I guess Broussard's been good too, but Zibanejad's like young and he's clearly showing how talented he can be, like how good he can be when put in the right situation.
1: Yeah, so Zibanejad is shooting 5% above his own career average. His IPP is about 15 or 20 points too high. So he's going to regress. But he's still going to be a very good player. As for the trade, you know, this isn't when it's going to be bad. You're right. It's been even. Broussard has been what Ottawa's needed. Uh, But wait till Broussard begins to decline, and you'll see the years that Ottawa didn't want to pay for from Zbigniew Those are the ones that are really going to come back to bite them.
0: Yeah, and who knows? I'm sure uh, Zabanajad would be doing just as well as Broussard if he was in his situation right now. Anyway, okay, uh, next hot streak, Justin Williams on Carolina. He has four assists in his last four games, up to nine points in 12 games on the season. And Brian, for some reason, I'm like completely uninterested in him. Like, I don't even think he's on any of my watch lists in any of my leagues. So like, what's wrong with me that I'm not interested in Justin Williams? Like, am I messed up here? Like, what, what am I doing? Nothing. You're not excited
1: because Justin Williams is 36 years old and he's on Carolina. So I I definitely can't blame you. The thing is he's shooting 4%. So you think, oh, maybe he can even do better, but he has a IPP of 100%. Every single goal scored while he's on the ice. He has had a hand in so far. I was that's probably going to balance out with the shooting percentage, good streamer for a chance at shots on goal and maybe a point. But aside from that, like, yeah, I'm not excited either. You could add him in a deep league.
0: Okay, that's pretty funny that he has 100% IPP. That's pretty good. He's the straw stirring the drink. Clearly on his line, he's getting in on every single goal. Okay, there's like a bunch more players I could bring up who are on hot streaks, but I thought something I could do for fun, Brian. How about I give you a list of all the players who are currently at a point per game or higher at the moment? And I'll order them in terms of points. I'll go from the top to the lowest player on my list is still over a point per game or at least at a point per game. And like, just pay attention to how crazy long this list is. Like last year at the end of the year, there were eight players in the whole league that were over a point per game. And I'm going to give you a list. You're going to like be like, when is this list going to end? Like, it's crazy how many players have been doing really well this year. Are you ready for the sprint? Yeah. Okay. So is Cody. Who's Cody? Your dog. Why are you saying that?
1: I thought I heard Cody.
0: She is not home right (laughs) now. So you definitely did it. Uh okay, that's gonna sound really weird for people listening, but I don't care. All right, and I guess I'll like sort of I'll raise my voice for the players that I think are like surprising that they're in this list, and then you could comment on the players that you want of this like espe- ex- exceptionally long list. Okay, so players who are above a point per game right now. Here we go, or at a point per game: Stamkos, Kucherov, Jaden Schwartz, third. Okay, Couturier, fourth, Matthews, Voracek, Giroux, Kopitar, Tavares, Wheeler josh bailey this was before today where he had to assist today uh Goudreau, hall clayton keller kessel kuznetsov mcdavid ovechkin pretty low for mcdavid by the way but whatever okay next uh, Braden point M- mark stone I- i'm raising my voice for the guys i didn't expect to be above point per game i hope that's clear uh, tarasenko barkov huberdo anders lee uh, alex petrangelo shifley Braden shen sagan trochek jamie ben dadinov uh Forsberg Ghost Bear Patrick Kane Klingberg uh Brad Marchand Brock Besser who had a hat trick yesterday he's got 13 points in 10 games on the season like insane he's like just as, seems doing just as well as Clayton Keller overall if you think about it uh Eric Carlson 13 points in nine games David Pasternak Butcher that's it okay that's the list that's a long list right what's going yeah. on
1: yeah that's an alphabetized list and you ended at NN which is uh, an amazing list. And what's interesting is seeing how many of the names there that people were worried, like, will they bounce back? Will they still be involved in their team's offense? Like Stamkos was, is an answer for the latter question. And it was like, well, they did so well without him. How's he going to get back into it? Clearly, uh, he's shown that. And then you have Voracek, Giroux, Kopitar, all bouncing back from last year. Ovechkin, you can count as a bounce back. So it's nice, uh, it's nice to see bounce backs, new names, it's a really nice big group.
0: Yeah, and so like moving forward though, last year there were eight players who ended up above a point per game. Like you said, we got to NN, which is we went A to Z and then the bolted list in Google Docs started going A, A, B, B, C, C. So this is like 40 players, I think, approximately. How many of them do you think will end up above a point per game once we're all said and done? By the way, Malkin, not on the list. He's one point behind.
1: I don't know. I, I, I hadn't prepared to, to think about that. I'm going to uh, go nine to 10
0: wow so yeah a lot of people are gonna have to slow down which you which you'd expect i think it's fun like there's no way
1: josh bailey and Lee are going to continue like there's some really obvious names here that are not going to continue being a point per game oh or are they oh would you want to bet board it or something brayden point you think he's gonna get there
0: how about this i'll say that one of these players that you think are obviously not going to maybe will but i don't know which one but
1: like, it's possible. So you say you say one of Point Bailey or Lee. Hey, and I'll even spot you Couturier. I'm gonna even throw him into the mix.
0: Maybe not a point per game, but like, I feel like you're probably thinking all these guys are gonna end up being like people that you could drop at some point. this No, season. I think no, I that's not, what, how
1: is that what I'm saying? I'm saying not going <laughs> to be point per game.
0: <laughs> okay, so but maybe I'll say like maybe one of them will hit 70. Can I can I go that? Uh, okay. You'll you'll take that bet.
1: I mean, I I'm. A little sorry, I spotted you Couturier, but I I think I would still uh, think it's unlikely that any of those guys hit seventy.
0: Yeah, I agree. Anyways, I don't really want to bet. Whatever, we could talk will about Will Butcher. I'm going to throw Will Butcher in there. <laughs> I mean, I agree with you that it's unlikely that any one of them will, in terms of like individually. But you know, you get a big enough group, like one of them might continue to overachieve, like someone could do it. I think it's interesting. And you know, guys like Bailey and Lee, like it's all about John Tavares, right? If they're playing with him and John Tavares keeps producing, they're going to keep getting in on his points. So uh, we'll see. Okay. Let's go to some cold streaks to end the show. I guess I was going to bring up Ryan Johansson. Now we kind of already talked about him. Uh, Is there anything more to say about him or should we just move on?
1: I think, I think we've covered it. I think just to circle back, I'm not, I don't think Kyle Torres is going to steal that top line spot. I think it's going to help the winger that doesn't end up on that top line more than it's going to hurt ryan johansson so don't panic quite yet johansson owners i think he's still the best center on the team
0: yeah well i guess at this point like anytime your team like or the player that you have their team makes a big trade like this like you might as well just wait and see how it shakes out if you've been holding johansson this long might as well hold him and see what happens now that tourist is there maybe all of a sudden the power play is going to be amazing they'll replace hartnell with tourists and and they'll really start taking off so Let's wait, and we'll have to check in on all of the participants in this trade and their teammates in, you know, a week or two. Uh, okay, one coaster guy I really needed to bring up this week, and here we are. Nicholas Baxter and Brian is pointless in five games. I did a little bit of research, but I got tired, okay? I looked at his game logs from last season, didn't see any stretch of five pointless games. I went to his game logs from the year before, also couldn't see any pointless stretches of five games, and then I thought, ah, I don't want to do this anymore. But, like he's like i just feel like nicholas backstrom is such a reliable guy to get points like how long ago is it that nicholas backstrom went on a five game pointless streak like this this feels like it's super rare like i remember last year we were all losing our minds when ovechkin had a game without a shot we were like how long has it been since ovechkin had a game without a shot and someone did the research did you happen to do the research on this and see how long it's been since backstrom has gone without a point in five straight games I didn't do the research, but I did look up how
1: many times Backstrom has had six
0: shots in a game,
1: which happened recently. And it's happened only 15 times in a 750-game career. And when it happened, I think it was the last game, uh, it was only the second time since the end of the 2013-2014 season, which tells me maybe the Capitals, like they're trying to figure out how to make that line work. He's playing with Rana and Oshi. They're not scoring, so maybe Backstrom Needs to start shooting to get a goal. Uh, and Oshie and Vrana, they, they're not the greatest guys for him to be setting up. Anyway, Oshie is not the score he appeared to be from his stat line last year. And Vrana still settling in. We don't know what to expect from him. Another reason why Backstrom might be struggling. The Capitals are without a power play goal in six consecutive games. That is where Backstrom picks up his points. Not happening. Not available lately. I think they'll come back.
0: Okay, that's kind of funny how I asked you, like, when's the last time he's gone five games without a point? And you were like, well, I'll tell you the last time he had six (laughs) shots in a game. You know, the last time he had 65 points in a season was (laughs) 2010-2011. And he also did it in... in... Okay, It was a
1: deflection. Did it work? I guess not, because you definitely brought it back around to hold your feet to the fire. I did not... Like, you could have... We didn't look. Somebody look. Let (laughs) us meet you.
0: Yeah, it's rare. But yeah, okay. You're saying not to be too worried. I mean, I would be a little worried just because... Like, not like he's going to totally fall off. Like, he's not playing with Ovechkin, right? Like, that's also, like, a big reason why he's been getting all these points for all, the, all these years. And, you know, he's good. He should probably get more credit for all of Ovechkin's goals. But also, obviously, he's been passing to Ovechkin, who's been scoring all of these goals. Like you said, like he's playing with Oshie and Varana. Oshie, you know, had that huge shooting percentage last year. and He's regressed like we expected. And so this might be the worst pair of line mates that Nicholas Backstrom has had in a long time. So we'll see if the Caps shake this up. Definitely a good buy-low opportunity, though. I feel like he's probably good for at least a 70-point pace moving forward, if not higher. And uh, that's my take on him. Brian, that's kind of it for what I prepared. I wrote some notes here at the end just because some people in the chat room were like, are you going to talk about Peter Mrazek's shutout today? So uh, yeah, Peter Mrazek had a shutout today. Jimmy Howard has been the starter, but I guess at some point you have to put Peter Mrazek in. And he let in no goals against the Oilers, a 4 nothing win for the Red Wings. Um, I don't know, Brian, are you, are you excited about Peter Mrazek at this point? Overall, he's been having a disappointing season, but good game today against the Oilers.
1: I mean, if you're going to play your backup against one team, the Oilers are a pretty good one to face at the moment. And Jimmy Howard has been just fine in most. I think it was four of his last five starts. I, I checked it out before the show. He's looking good. I don't think that the job is open for grabs. Elon, I have some hot streaks before we finish.
0: Okay. I still got a couple more notes here, though. Okay. Me first. Okay. <laughs> uh David in the chat room said in all caps, how about Larson's 13 hits? Okay. Well, Adam Larson had uh 13 hits a couple games ago. Uh today the Oilers played again, like we just said, and he had uh only three hits. Come on, Adam Larson. Oh, yeah, you tease us with this one great game. But, yeah, that must have been amazing if you owned Adam Larson. He also gets a bunch of blocks. He seems like definitely he's a hired gun. You know, you said Rick Nash is a hired gun. Like Adam Larson, if you need hits and blocks, he's gonna help you there. Don't expect many points uh one other note i'll point out matt Barzel had five assists today for the islanders so i think you mentioned him recently we talked about the islanders and that first line doing well but barzel has been on the top power play and he's clearly also really good so many really uh intriguing rookies like keller and besser and i wonder now we'll have to look at what barzell's point total is maybe he's approaching a point per game at this point because he was already doing really well before a five assist game
1: well now he was one of my hot streaks thanks uh now he has 13 points in his last 9 games, uh, 3 goals, 10 assists and about 20 shots. That's some mental math happening right now. I might may or may not have that right. So a couple shots a game, point per game over his last 9. Uh, he was already a point per game over his last 8. Now he's more than a point per game player over his last 9. Yes. You should add him. You should like we we mentioned that, did we not last week?
0: Add Matt Barzel. Would you, but you'd still take Bailey and like Lee over Barzil, I assume. And what about Eberly versus Barzil? Because I know you're always still hanging a candle to Eberly. Like today, this is like, we have, uh, this game just happened for us. Uh, let me see. What did Bailey do today? I mean, sorry, Eberly. I'm just looking right Two now. Two goals. Two goals. Wow. Oh, the Islanders. What a team. <laughs> you, you were what? not, you, you already had your, oh, he sucks response
1: <laughs> ready. You were not expecting any. <laughs> no, of,
0: I guess I, I guess I should have assumed that if Everly's playing on a line with Matt Barzel, then he's good and Barzell has five assists. So yeah, Everly's obviously gonna score those goals. So it's good for Everly. We thought that it was like horrible for him, or at least I did. Brian actually didn't agree with me, so I'll take all the blame here. I thought, like, uh, oh, Everly's off the top line. Uh, we've seen this before with Andrew Ladd, and we've seen this before with Everly last year in Edmonton. So I was thinking, like, ah, oh, maybe it's over. But obviously he's got a really good centerman in Matt Barzell. So good for him. Good for the Islanders, Nick Letty. Got two goals and assists today. What a what a fun game to own Islanders players. Definitely. Elon, are we ready for my hot streaks yet? Yeah, we're in them. Barzel number 1. Who's number 2? Okay.
1: Two? Uh Phil Dano also a point per game player over his last 9 games now has uh 9 points. Two goals, six assists plus one of one of them and also 26 shots in that span. So he's getting almost three shots per game. That's great. You should add him if he's available in your league. Well, wait, Ga-
0: wait, don't just say that like, you should add him if he's available in your league. He's available in everyone's leagues. Uh, we, I, we had this section about the Habs and we talked about Gallagher and Galchenyuk. Like, are you taking Dano over one of them? Uh,
1: you know, I might take him over Galchenyuk. He's been producing more Whoa. consistently for longer. Galchenyuk has the upside, but Dano is doing
0: good. I guess. Uh, but I, if I recall correctly, you said you'd rather have Galchenyuk than Gallagher. So it sounds like you're saying you want Dano over both of them.
1: Yeah. Uh, I feel like I shifted toward Gallagher by the end of the show. I don't know. I, I We've been on the air for so long. Don't make me compare players. <laughs>
0: okay. Galchenyuk <laughs> had an assist today. So. Hooray. Man, we're really flaming out here at the okay. end of the
1: show. Rest of my hot streaks. Uh, Gabriel Landeskog now has
0: six points in his last six games. Mm-hmm. Did you hey. see that coming? Is this going to be like, you're just going to say to them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to do the me, if you're going to say the hot streak, you have to actually ask a question. You can't just say like, you should add Okay. Gustav
1: Nyquist up to five points in his last seven games. Would you prefer him or Philip Dano?
0: I would prefer Nyquist. I'm not that interested in Philip Dano. Nyquist, every once in a while, is a good spot star. Like, he does, you know, he sometimes gets a ton of shots. He's usually getting good power play time playing with Zetterberg. So, with Detroit, they sometimes just don't score goals. And so, you're not going to see much from Nyquist. But I, I I don't expect Phil Dano to be much of anything. Uh, speaking of Gabriel Landeskog, I guess he's another person that's affected maybe negatively or positively with oh, like No one talks about Landeskog anymore. Poor him. Sort of, like, not mentioned on Colorado since they've been running with Rantanen and McKinnon and Andrew Ghetto on the top line. Though it looks like today, actually, Landeskog was on the top line with McKinnon and Rantanen. That's a really good spot for Gabriel Landeskog. McKinnon and Rantanen have both been on fire. Like McKinnon's been fantastic. And uh, yeah, take a look at Gabriel Landeskog also on the top power play with McKinnon and Rantanen. So yeah, that's actually a very good get, Brian. A good mention. Like a lot of people maybe have given up on Landeskog and especially if your lead counts hits, he really contributes there. So yeah, great spot right now for him.
1: A great analysis from you. Uh if you are looking to drop a couple guys, I got a couple late snoozers here to throw in. If you you can add any of those guys, especially if you own Sven Andraghetto, who after like I'll admit I, I was buying in after five games. I'm like, oh yeah, this could be a really good season for him. He has a golden two assists for three points in his last 12 games, only 19 shots.
0: Yeah, like I said, looks like he's been bumped from the McKinnon line once he's not on the McKinnon line anymore I definitely don't want sven Andrew Ghetto give me Landon Skog 100% over him and then Elon you would be driving me crazy about this still
1: if Oli Mata was still producing so we need to make sure we mention he is not producing just one assist in his last eight games
0: wow and that's with uh Schultz injured I believe So even though Mata's probably been getting some power play time, let me take a look here at what Pittsburgh's been doing in terms of their defense on the power play. Letang obviously power play one. Yeah. It's only Mata power play two, but really like power play two on Pittsburgh. Like who cares about them? So yeah, it looks like you were definitely right about Mata. I'm pretty sure I agreed with you, but he was someone to watch. Can I mention Chris Latang really quickly? He has... 11 points in 16 games, so pretty good. And he's been doing really good lately. He started the year a little slow. I believe at one point, like in the summer series, when people were asking if they should trade Chris Letang, we were like, well, don't trade him now. Everyone's worried about him. He's been injured for so long. We said, like, wait till he goes on a run and then like sell high on him if you're worried about him getting injured later. Because I'm still just as concerned about him getting injured as I was, you know, during the summer. Like, I think maybe, I don't know. It's hard to put a number on it. Let's say I'm like 30% worried he'll get injured. You know, like 30% chance he'll go down at some point for like 10 games. Anyway, maybe now's the time if you want to offload some injury risk from your team. Letang's looking really good lately. So uh, now would be the time where you start maybe trying to shop him around where you could get really good value for him.
1: But it's so hard to do that when your guy is just crushing it. Like I want to actually, an interesting question about that point per game player list would be who would you sell high on? Like who from that list would you sell for a 60 point player or a 55 point player. Cause there's some guys who probably will be okay. 55 point player is probably pretty low, but, but I think that maybe that's a question for another time, a mailbag show, perhaps.
0: Yeah, we got one uh, coming up on Thursday. So the patrons will hear us and you could ask the questions. If you like that question, throw it back at us on the Mailbag Show. We have to answer it. If it gets the most votes because we just answer the questions that get the most votes, that's the show for the patrons. And Brian, let's mention the patrons. Thank you so much for supporting the show. If you're not a patron, that's cool. We still like you. Thanks so much for listening. If you wanted to help support us, you could uh, throw us five bucks a month you know help us out buy us a beer like i like to say and in exchange you're going to get a bunch of free content a uh, show every single week access to all of our old bonus content including i think it was like an hour and a half patron cast last week and there's other perks as you go up like check it all out we made a nice little pretty site for you over on patreon keepingcarlson.com slash patron i didn't ask you brian did you have more like cold streaks you wanted to bring up
1: no you cut my segue into the end of the show perfectly
0: Okay, well, I see you had on the list Jason Spezza, so I definitely want to also agree with you that. Jason <laughs> yeah. Spezza, well,
1: I just thought I just thought he was too like too too old news. Spezza and Patrick Sharp was also
0: on my list. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's I know it's hard for you to give up on the old guys. I think like on the Patreon cast actually, I was like really ragging on you for liking old players so much, and so it would have been fun if you did bring up Spezza and Sharp, but I I you smartly didn't because no one ha- no one has these guys. Okay, uh, yeah. I already mentioned that if you want to become a patron, we'd appreciate that. Another thing you could do for us. I mean, we're trying our best to put out a good show for you. So I'm going to list you some things you could do for us. Just by listening, you're helping us out. So no pressure. But five-star review on iTunes would be like pretty sweet. We really like those. They help us. I'd love one day to get on the like a trending podcast or whatever on iTunes. I even emailed. I got a contact from iTunes and I emailed him and they didn't write back. So if anyone knows anyone at iTunes, I don't know. Anyway, but give us the five-star review. Hopefully that helps. And then also I like to usually say you can subscribe to us. That's it, whatever. Okay, Brian, let's just cue the outro music. Why don't you go ahead and raise the credits? All
1: right. And by the way, remember that this show uh, was sponsored by CE and FanDuel. Uh, You can compete against Elon and I in our FanDuel Listener League. FanDuel.com slash K-A-R-L. Carl, join late Monday night, like 7 or 8 p.m and uh, we'll have a good time. This episode of Keeping Carlton was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons, including our newest ones, Mike H., Matthew D., David F., let's have you aboard. It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica, The Athletic, Hockey Reference, Hockey Biz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fanchraft
0: great job as always brian i feel like this was a bit of a different animal this episode i feel like we've gotten to some more just casual chatting it was more like a patron cast by the end of the podcast i had a lot of fun good job we'll catch you all with another regular show next sunday you can always join us live keepingcarlson.com slash live we usually start at either seven or eight we'll let you know on twitter until then
1: keep on keeping carlson